the Louisville Metro Board of Zoning Adjustment to hear cases as advertised and docketed for hearing today. In accordance with KRS Chapter 61, this meeting is being conducted by live video teleconference. Members of the public were informed of the option of viewing and participating virtually or in person at the Old Jail Auditorium located at 514 West Liberty Street. Public notice has been provided and materials have been available for review by the public. The following rules are in place for today's meeting. Please silence all cell phones. Please be courteous and respectful to the board and your fellow citizens. Agendas and staff reports are located near the entry of the auditorium or on louisville.legistar.com. For those participating virtually, chat messages are not part of the record and not monitored by all members. Please refrain from sending messages to the panel. If you have any questions, you may send messages to the host. Today's proceedings are being recorded. Anyone wishing to address the board must do so from the podium or virtually. Members of the staff have inspected each of the sites, which will be the subject of hearings today. There are time limits in effect for today's meeting. An accumulative time limit of 15 minutes shall be granted to all those in support of the request. An accumulative time, minute of, time limit of 15 minutes shall be granted to all those in opposition to the request. And an accumulative time limit of 15 minutes shall be granted to all interested parties neutral to the request. The applicant shall then be granted a five-minute rebuttal. The staff report and other presentations are a part of the official record. If you plan on speaking, please fill out a speaker's form as soon as possible. Those participating virtually must submit an online speaker's form or notify the host or case manager in advance. Priority shall be given to speaker cards in the order that they are received. Only those who have completed the speaker's form will be allowed to speak. The procedure for non-appeals, including conditional use permits and variances, is as follows. The case number and a brief description of the request will be read. Staff will make a presentation. The applicant or representative will make a presentation and or be available for questions by the board. Any other person in favor of the proposal will be heard. Neutral parties will then be heard. These are people who are neither in support nor opposition to the proposal. Those opposed to the proposal will then be heard. The applicant or their representative will then have an opportunity for rebuttal. Usually only one person will be allowed to speak in rebuttal. After rebuttal, there will be no further oral arguments, so please speak at the proper time. The procedure for appeals will be given when the case is announced. Board members may occasionally ask questions of speakers. Pursuant to KRS Chapter 61 and the board bylaws, the board's deliberations and voting today will be held immediately following the public hearing for each case and will be open to any interested parties. Any statement related to the cases, however, must be made during the public hearing. No party will be allowed to speak during the decision-making deliberations of this board. We're ready for roll call. Horton. Here. Ford. Here. Budorf. Here. Howard. Present. Bond. Present. We have a quorum. Um, member Vozos will be joining us. He'll be a few minutes late. All right, first item on the agenda is the approval of the minutes 
of the Louisville Metro Board of Zoning Adjustment from September 25th, 2023. Members, have you had an opportunity to review the minutes and are there any revisions? From September 25th. Doesn't appear that there are any changes, so we're ready for vote. Horton. We need a motion to approve the minutes. Motion to approve, Madam Chairman. There a second. Seconded. Forward. Okay. We are now ready for vote. Horton. Yes. Ford. Yes. Butterworth. Yes. Howard. Epstein. Bond. Yes. The minutes have been approved. We also have minutes from the Louisville Metro Board of Zoning Adjustment meeting of October 2nd, 2023. Members, any revisions, changes to the minutes from October 2nd? Uh, Madam Chairman, motion to approve. Second. Or second? Second, forward. Okay, it's been properly moved and seconded to approve the minutes from the October 2nd, 2023 meeting. Ready for vote. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Butterworth? Yes. Howard? Epstein? Bond? Yes. The minutes have been approved. Staff, would you stand so that I can swear you in, please? Raise your right hand and swear that the testimony you're about to give today is the truth. Okay, and you can give your name and address when you approach the podium. Thank you. All right, the first item on the agenda is a business session item, 23 variance 0136. Uh, this is business session, so there will be no testimony related to this case. Uh, Members, have you all had an opportunity to review the information on the case? Any concerns or discussion? Okay, hearing none, we're ready for a motion. Madam Chair? Yes. I'd like to make a motion, please. Please proceed. <clears throat> this is Horton. <clears throat> I'd like to make a motion to approve variance 23 Variance 0136, and the request is for uh, accessory structure to encroach on the rear side yard setback. That's at 815 Samoa Way. The owners are Brian and Corey Kiesler. Motion to approve. Um, it complies with all of the portions of the standards of the review and the staff analysis. Um, it's very similar to many two others in the neighborhood. Um, the request, and it's um, they have the signature of all four contiguous property owners in support. Uh, the paperwork we have already, uh, um, it complies with the 2040 comp plan, and there are three additional considerations which uh, are in support and of the uh, of um, of the variance. That's it. Okay. I'll second. Then properly Howard second been properly moved and seconded to approve 23 variance 0136. Ready for vote. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Butterworth? Howard? Yes. Bond? Yes. The variance has been approved. We're now moving into the public hearing session of the agenda. First item is 23 variance 0063. 
23 variants, 0063. Ronwood Drive variants, Amy Brooks, Office of Planning, 444 South 5th Street. Thank you, Amy. This is a request for a variance from the Land Development Code to allow a fence to exceed eight, height, eight feet in height within the required rear and side yard and a variance request from the Land Development Code Table 5.3.1 to allow a principal structure to encroach into the side yard setback. The fence height maximum allowed there is eight feet. The request is for, sorry, the requirement there is eight feet. It is a request for 100 feet. And then the side yard setback is a request for one foot. It's located between Jefferson Boulevard and Shepherd's Rail Road. The applicant has a, constructed a metal, metal privacy fence that measures 110 inches at its tallest point in the rear yard. There is an enclosed deck that encroaches into the side yard setback as well. This case was continued on August the 7th to allow staff to verify the height of the existing fence. It was continued again on September the 11th to allow the applicant time to work with construction review to develop a plan that was building permit worthy. This is your zoning map. This is the aerial photograph of the property in question outlined in blue. This is the applicant provided site plan. This is the not the front of the subject property. This is across the street. This is the location of the deck in that side yard that I mentioned earlier. It is with the metal and it is enclosing the deck. This is the view of the deck from the interior of the property. As you can tell, it is very close to that side yard setback. This is, you see the blue arrow, that is the tallest point of the fence in the rear and side yards. It's 110 inches. That is the deck from the rear of the property. Oh, and this is, on your left is the fence as seen from the interior of the property. The picture in the middle is the fence at the rear as it comes up to the MSD easement with a fence on top of a built retaining wall. And over to the right are more pictures of the fence as it is seen from that MSD easement ditch. These are additional site photos over to the side. This is what it looks like for the adjacent property owner on the side. And again, that is where over to your right is another picture of the retaining wall and the fence as it encroaches into this, into that side setback. Staff finds that the requested variances are justified for denial as determined by the staff's analysis contained in the standard of review. Your required actions today are to approve or deny the variance to allow a fence to exceed eight height within the required rear and side yards and a variance from the land development code to allow a principal structure to encroach into the side yard setback. Any questions for staff? Madam Chair, I have questions. Yes, please. Um, Amy, could we go back to the, uh, the, the 
oh, I can't even say it, the slide that shows the the location, the requirement and the uh, Yes. Ed. Okay. That's uh, my fault. The requirement there is eight feet, so that's 96 inches. The okay. request is 110. Okay, because I know the staff variance. reports were different from what was there. So yes. really, so, the requirement was uh, eight feet high. Because, right, eight feet. You got, well, let me do this my way, please, with the feet. Okay, so the requirement is eight feet. That's correct. What, okay. And so the request is 100 inches, which would be eight feet. It's 110, inches. it's 110 inches. For the Howard. No, not for the requirement. The requirement's 96 inches. Okay. And the request uh, in the staff report is 100 inches. So now you're saying it's 110? Yes, because we did a field visit. Okay. We did a site visit and we were able to take direct measurements in the field, which was the request at the Board of Zoning Adjustment meeting in August. Right. And so now the variance would be one point what inches? 14. 14 inches, so it's a foot. Okay. I'll stay with the inches, but I'd rather go with feet. Thank you. 12, I mean, one inch. What is it? 14 inches or one foot two inches? I prefer one foot two inches. Nobody's going to remember all those inches. One foot two inches. Next Thank time you. I'll do both. Thank you. I mean, it's better for us if you do feet. Um, well, I don't know. I what are you saying is one foot two inches? The variance. Not four inches? No, it's one foot two inches because the request now is 110 inches. The the staff report was done prior to okay. going out to confirm the height Got and it. the height at the tallest point is 110 inches, not 100 inches or we'll go with feet, nine feet, two inches. Uh, let me ask a couple quick questions if I might. So this is an ongoing enforcement case yes. because of the fence exceeding the height. Uh, and then you made a statement about building permit worthy. Yes. So as it's built, it could not receive a building permit. Those are not fire rated materials. You have to have fire rated materials once you're within three feet of the property line and those are not. And so that this case was continued on September 11th to give the applicant time to work with construction review to come up with a plan that is permit worthy. Also, the retaining wall would need an engineer stamp on it before they would even look at their building permit. So are we going to hear from the applicant about where they are? They the do know that they are here. Okay. Their case is being heard today. They seem to indicate on the phone that they would be here. Okay. Just so I understand, the, the fence does not have to be a building uh, fire rated. The fence itself does not have to be, correct? It is the deck and the deck is within the deck. one so two different foot issues, of the, the property. Of the fence, and then the deck. There are two variances before you today. Right. And I'm a, little, I'm a little confused because if I look at those two photos and going back to Lulu's comment, if you go back to the slides, back up a couple, and you look at the chain link fence, which is the neighbors on the left, and then you look at his fence, on here, it's saying there's two feet difference, and if that's two feet, my my judgment's getting to be a little vague. You and me too. Yeah, I mean, I don't see the two feet. So I'm from the it, overhang. From well, you see where the 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 deck is. Yes, I, I remember breaking this up when this came up the first time. No. Okay, right. So there's the chain link fence, and assuming that's on the property line, which is an assumption, um, the the deck is is nowhere near two feet away, which is what they're showing on the site plan. Yes. Okay, these may be things we have to ask the applicant. 
or did you want to answer them? No, those saying. those were things that yeah. they were to correct during those that um, continuance. Thank you. There was any other questions for Amy? Thank you, Amy. Thank you. We don't have any speaker forms for this case. Um, the applicant is Edna, Edna Blanco, but I don't have anything from her. Joe, you don't have an online form, I'm assuming. Any online forms for this case? <laughs> okay, all right. Hey, uh, is there anyone here to speak in support of this case who has not yet filled out a speaker form? Does not appear so. Um, anyone here to speak in opposition who has not filled out a speaker form or neutral? I have no speaker forms for this case. So um, at this point, I'll close the public hearing and we'll go into deliberations. Members, you have before you uh, two variances, one to allow a fence to exceed eight feet in height uh, within the required rear yard, and then a second variance to allow a principal structure to encroach into the side yard setback. And Amy, I'm assuming you have not received any information related to your request earlier from the, the original time we heard this case. I spoke with the applicant this morning. They indicated they would be here today. But other than that. The site plan that you saw on my presentation was what they submitted two weeks ago. Okay. Okay. Or last week. All right. Thank you. Madam Chair, um, I would suggest that we table just in, in case they show up. And okay. uh, after that, then we could make some decisions. I concur with that. I Thank agree you. with that. Yes. Is that a motion? So do I need to move? It? Yeah. Okay. Madam Chair, I move that we table uh, 23 variant 0063 uh, to a later time in the, on the agenda to allow the applicant time to arrive. Is there a second? second? It's been moved and seconded to table 23 variant 0063 until later in today's agenda to allow the applicant to arrive and speak. Ready for vote. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Butterworth? Yes. Bozos? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bond? Yes. <clears throat> Thank you. I think they just she's been tabled. <laughs> yeah, she's got uh, Well, could we? they've arrived. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Ms. Blanco, is, who's here to speak in support of this case? We don't have a speaker form, so we will need for you to fill one out. But is someone one of you here to speak? If one of you, okay. Amy, do you have it? Okay. 
Thank you very much. All right. Um, we had voted to approve a, a motion to table this till later in the agenda. Uh, the applicant is is has arrived, so we will need a motion to untable and proceed with this before the next agenda item. Is there a motion to untable and continue the discussion on this case? Motion to take it off the table. Is there a and open the hearing? That's sufficient. Is there a second? And to be moved to the end of the agenda since it's great. I think we're wasting time, so I'll second. Okay. It's been moved and seconded to untable 23 variance 0063 and proceed with testimony. Keep that tense. I have, we need, we need a vote on untabling. Horton? The discussion. Yes. Ford? Yes. Budorf? No. Bozos? Yes. Howard? No. Bond? No. So what is that, a tie? Oh, Lord. <laughs> it fails. No, it, yeah, it failed, so. But let's keep moving. So now what? Could we just later. keep moving since we already had a motion in place to. Uh, okay. I'm just asking because it's not fair to other people who are sitting here with an agenda that we allow somebody to come in after their time. Rah, rah, next case. Yes, I don't know. It most, that motion failed. Um, because of because of the tie vote, the motion to untable failed. So we will move on to the next agenda item. Ms. Nilasco, you'll you'll be allowed to speak, but later in the agenda. Next item is 23 variance 0123. All right, this is the Outer Loop Retail Center. Ethan Lett, Office of Planning Staff, 444 South 5th Street. The request today are a variance to allow the principal structure to exceed the 275 foot maximum front setback by 160 feet, so a total of 435 feet from the uh, front property line. A waiver to allow the existing access road to encroach into the 30 foot parkway buffer off outer loop. And finally, a category three development plan. Next slide, please. So uh, this development site is part of the Jefferson Mall off Outer Loop. The existing building, which is actually the old Sears building, is going to be demolished and replaced with the 103,000 square foot retail building um, with a fuel center, outdoor amenity areas. Um, there'll be improvements to the parking lot, including improving the buffering, interior landscape areas, uh, as well as the tree canopy. Um, the access road that provides um, access to the site uh, has points off of both Outer Loop and Jefferson Boulevard. Next slide, please. So here's a view of the zoning map. You can see there's a variety of zoning in the area, um, some commercial office uh, along that 
outer loop corridor there, and then also some residential buffered as well. Here's an aerial view of the development site, um, and then you can see to the uh, to the right or to the um, east there uh, a similar um, way that the site is set up in terms of uh, the structures being set back from that main roadway there. So it gives you some context of the area. So here's a view of the existing building from Outer Loop. Um, again, that building will be demoed and the proposed building will be basically in the same location as that existing building there. Uh, and here's some of the adjacent properties. You see a view of the Jefferson Mall, um, the outlots of the mall, and then um, the commercial center east of the subject site. Here's the applicant's development plan. And so here, that red line, that would, is where that maximum front setback would be. That green line is where the 30-foot parkway buffer would be. So the, the two right-hand lanes of that access road are currently encroaching into that parkway buffer. Here's their elevations. So staff finds that the requested variance and waiver and proposed plan are adequately justified for approval based on staff's analysis and the standard of review, uh, with the exception of the relief requested, the proposed plan does meet the requirements of the land development code. So your required actions to date are to approve or deny the variance, approve or deny the waiver, and approve or deny the category three development plan. Are there questions for staff? I just have one and it's about the waiver, the 30 foot waiver. That road's been there forever and now somebody's just catching it or was there? Right, it's an existing condition. And did we add the parkway buffer later? Yes, yeah, so this, so this development, obviously the mall was in place before those regulations were put into place. Got it. Thank you. And it's staff recommendation that the category three development plan meets or exceeds the requirements. That's correct, yes. All right. Thank you. It's helpful to have that in the staff report. Thank you. All right, members, other discussion? It doesn't appear that there is any additional discussion. And I don't have any speaker cards. Jody, did you get any online? online you submitted a comment form not the speaker form yes i just i forgot to print that one off yes ashley did sign up online i have her card i'm going to start doing it old school again i always mess up <laughs> the online okay ashley yeah, we're going to start the clock um so that we can ensure we stay within the 15 minute accumulative time limit for testimony okay would you raise your right hand you swear the testimony you're about to give today is the truth. I do. Name and address, please. Ashley Bartley, QK4, 9920 Corporate Campus Drive, Suite 1200-40223. Thank you. Please proceed. 
Uh, we are here today, uh, as Ethan gave a great overview. Uh, this is a redevelopment of the Jefferson Mall, the old Seal Sears building, and it is a new retail center. We were referring to it generically initially, but it is go it's going to be a BJ's uh, retail store. It's like a wholesale membership club, similar to a Sam's club. So um, here's the site. You can kind of see we're looking from outer loop. That's the, the parcel area. The building will be completely demolished and reconstructed a little bit over 100,000 square feet, 103,000 square feet. Uh, most of the parking lot infrastructure will remain, um, obviously be um, upgraded a little bit, and lots of landscaping and trees will be added. Um, but generally, you know, the, the access road that we've talked about will remain in place. There's kind of a loop road that goes around the entire mall. I'll show you a picture of that in a little while. That's going to remain in place, which is the reason for the waiver. Um, and then again, we're developing in a similar way that exists today at the Jefferson Mall, which is the reason for the setback variance. Um, I, I forgot to introduce my group. I don't think anybody else will speak, but Mark Lavoie is in from uh, Mich uh, no Massachusetts, the other one. Uh, so he's in with us today. If you have any questions for him, got John Baker if, if we need him to weigh in, and then Mason Meredith is the um, engineer of record from QK4. But I'm just going to probably cover everything. Next slide, please. So we are here out near Okalona, east of 65, and inside the Watterson Expressway. Next. Uh, so here's kind of an overview of the mall. So obviously the blue area is the area of development. Next slide. Uh, existing conditions. So it's been not uh, not had a lot going on there for a while. So this will hopefully be a great revitalization project for the area. Next slide. And then here's kind of how that uh, new site plan is going to fit in with the existing mall. So you see the 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 red building is going to be the uh, retail center, and then the parking lot will be located to the south. And then on the right east side is where the fuel station will be. Next, and here's a, an enlargement of that. We've got uh, just a little under 400 parking spaces, which is about right in the middle of the minimum and maximum. Uh, you can see a lot of the green on there. That's all brand new. Um, I actually asked Julia Williams her opinion before we even filed anything because we I knew that we were going to need a waiver for that parkway buffer and she suggested simply removing some of that parking and adding that that green space which is I think right at 30 feet um, that's also helped a lot with uh, vehicular safety it's kind of a free-for-all out there right now with multiple access points so we've narrowed that down to the main one by Judge Boulevard and then and one on the south area too um, that big kind of blob <laughs> green Green area up there is going to be one of the outdoor. There we go. Yep. At one of the outdoor amenity spaces. Uh, we haven't planned those details out, but it'll probably have some seating um, and obviously some landscaping. Um, there'll also be some outdoor amenity space located just like on the southeast of the corner or southeast corner of the building. There's some on or some rectangles shown there that are going to be some seating areas. So, yep. Um, obviously, we've added a lot of islands with with trees. Uh, there'll be at least that many trees and oh sidewalk is on the west side yep making that connection there so we will actually connect into the outer loop sidewalk that pretty much covers that here's here's the setback so again that blue line is the maximum setback the suburban uh, marketplace form district allows you to build right up to the property line but no less than 275 feet we're at 427 and again, that's just to fit in with the uh, existing infrastructure and pattern of development out at the Jefferson Mall. Next slide. And again, there's that parkway buffer where it would be required. Obviously, that's going to uh, require 
the access road to be reconstructed. So rather than do that, we're just kind of moving it back and providing the buffer at the edge of the parking. Next slide. Uh, here's building elevations that Ethan has previously shown. So your typical big box retail with a nice attractive front storefront with uh, the glass and animating features. Next slide. Might be it actually. Yep, that's all I have. Questions? Questions for Ashley? Uh, Ashley, so is the new footprint smaller, the same, or bigger than what's there now? Uh, overall, it's a little bit bigger, but the, the area is about the same as what exists there today. Okay. And my next question was outdoor amenities. I'm not quite sure what that is. It a it, it's a requirement of the form district. When you get over a certain size retail, you have to do, I think it's 10% um, of your square footage has to be outdoor amenity. And that can have things like you have to, there's some certain requirements. One is like seating or fountain, just a place where people can hang out. Not a beer garden. I'm sorry. A beer garden. <laughs> no, I don't no. know. <laughs> I don't think that's just their model. Got it. Um, and really, that's all I've got. Oh, I do have one about parking. Mm -hmm. You know, in a mall like that, that all that parking is all the way around there, but it, you all are counting spots specifically, mm -hmm. but they're not specific to that because anybody could park there and go to another place. And I'm sure there's some formula that works out. You need to yeah. See, you need to see the slide again. No, no, I, I okay. get it. I just want okay. to help. What I, yeah, I just counted the parking spaces actually on the parcel because there are some to the west that are on a different parcel that people are probably parking and going back and forth and there very well may be a cross access parking agreement between the parcels. Uh -oh. uh, but yeah, just for the sake of. What? Okay, there is an, John tells me there is an existing cross access easement, so um, that allows them to go back and forth, but just to kind of get numbers down on paper. I just counted the spaces that were on the parcel. So the parking lot is specifically for this building. If they buy this building, they're not leasing. If they buy it, they own that ground. And if they wanted to, they could put guards at each gate and say, show me your membership card and to park here. Yes. Although I'd have to, if they want to. just asking. I mean, right, right. Theoretically. I've never yes. seen this come up. So mm -hmm. I'm just curious. Because when I go to the mall, I think I can park anywhere and walk anywhere I want to go. Yeah, and, and board member Butterworth, this could be a question for John Baker because he did yeah, it indicate that it has a reciprocal and cross access easement. So typically that limits your restraint on what you can and can't do to prevent access because it is reciprocal. Okay. Um, in cases like mall redevelopment or other large lot development, as long as they don't increase the amount of parking and they're decreasing parking or keeping it the same, then parking is is fine. There's not an issue with exceeding maximums. If they exceed current maximum, so long as they don't increase parking, they're considered you know, non-conforming to the current and they're good to go. This looks like a big improvement to that. Oh yeah, absolutely, like I think it's area. great. Yeah. And John did tell me that the cross access is in place, so they are required to allow people to come and go onto their property because that was there when they purchased the property. Okay, and uh, yeah, any other questions for Ashley? And if John does wanna speak, we just need a speaker card, no. All right. He's being shy today. Okay. Thank you. Are there any other speaker cards related to this case? Anybody here to speak in opposition or neutral? All right. That being said, we will close the public hearing and move into deliberation on 23 variants 
0123, the Outer Loop Retail Center. Members, discussion on what you've heard today on the plan that's proposed. Madam Chair, unless there are questions or concern, I'm ready to make a motion. Please proceed. And the reason I say that is before I make the motion, I'm very uh, appreciative of the applicant and the developer for redeveloping the site for providing a plan that is going to improve the aesthetics of that area. And I definitely love, I think you said 70 trees. I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to be looking and talking to them, but just to know that there's gonna be some additional landscaping that is gonna improve that site. Um, and I guess they improve the land use as well, because we don't like the idea of having vacant buildings in areas this large. So. Um, with that, I'm just, I don't know if that's a good thing to say, but I'm tickled to death to see improvement and redevelopment. So with that, I move to approve the uh, variance from the land development code section 5.3.3.C.2A, a point A, to allow the principal structure to exceed the 275 foot maximum front set back by 160 feet. The uh, requirement being 275 feet the request is 435 feet for a variance of 160 feet. And I base this on the staff analysis um, for the uh, variance on page two of six. I'm in total agreement with it because it does not alter the essential character of the area. In fact, it improves the character of the area. Um, and I, ba oh, I base it on testimony and evidence that's been presented today. Thank you. Is there a second? Second. It's been properly moved and seconded to approve the variance from land development code to allow the principal structure to exceed the 275 foot maximum front setback by 150, 160 feet. Ready for vote. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Budorf? Yes. Bozos? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bond? Yes. The variance has been approved. Ready for a motion on the waiver? Uh, regarding the waiver f uh, for the uh, site from the Land Development Code Section 10.3.5.A.1 to allow an existing access road to encroach into the 30-foot parkway buffer, I move that we approve the waiver and I base it as well on the staff analysis on page three of six, I think, yes. And uh, I agree with that analysis and the main reason is that it's an existing access road that existed prior to our changes to the land development code, um, and it is in compliance. And I base that on the testimony and evidence that was provided today. Is there a second? Second it, Board. Been moved and seconded to approve waiver, the waiver to allow existing access road to encroach into the 30-foot parkway buffer. Ready for a vote. Horton? Yes. Board. Yes. Budorf? Yes. Bozos? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bond? Yes. The waiver has been approved. Lastly, the motion on the Category 3 development plan. Madam, regarding chair, sorry. <laughs> uh, regarding the Category 3 development plan, I move that we approve the Category 3 development plan based on it meeting or exceeding the requirements of the Land Development Code, um, the testimony and evidence that was provided today. Is there a second? Second, Bozos. Ready for vote. Horton? Yes. Ford? 
Yes. Budorf. Yes. Bozos. Yes. Howard. Yes. Bond. Yes. Category three development plan has been approved. Um, all three actions have been approved. Thank you. And Madam Chair, I'm probably out of order, but I'd like to thank Ethan for a good report. Excellent. Thank you very much. All right, next item on the agenda is 23 variants 0108. Cosair freestanding sign variants. That lady leaves. Heather Pollock, Office of Planning Staff, 444 South Fifth Street, 40202. This is for a freestanding sign at uh, 20, I'm sorry, 4102, 4120, Bar Center, I apologize. Um, this is a request from um, Land Development Code uh, Chapter 8, which is the signs chapter, um, Table 8.3.2, to allow a freestanding side to exceed the maximum area permitted. And then there's also a waiver um, uh, section 8.2.1 D6 to allow a changing image sign to be within 300 feet of residential use. Next. This is in the C2 zoning district and the suburban marketplace form district. Um, their applicant is requesting to add a 72 square inch, um, I'm sorry, square foot, apologize, uh, changing image sign to an existing freestanding column or sign. Uh, the existing sign is currently 93.45 square feet. Um, the maximum permitted is 100, um, and then it's 23.5 feet tall. Um, it is located approximately 221 feet from residential use across Butchell Bypass. Next. But here is the table um, outlining the requirements. Um, so as I said, the maximum area permitted is 100 square feet. Um, there is an approved variance from 2006 for this to allow it to be uh, 30 feet tall. Um, but the uh, current sign is only 23 and a half feet tall. Um, the request is 165 square feet total for the signage area. Um, the changing image area is allowed to be 99 square feet, um, and they have our requesting to be less at 72. And then the sign style can be any, and they have a columnar sign. Next. So here is an area photograph showing the approximate location. Um, to the north there, you can see uh, um, the Waterson Expressway. And there is the area, the subject site. Um, it is right where Barstown Road and Butcher Bypass split. So it's right in that triangle. Next. So here is the zoning. As you can see, it's right in that split. Most of the uses around the area are commercial and light industrial. Directly across Butchell Bypass is some residential use, and this is the use that the waiver is for. Next. And then this is a close-up. As you can see, it's right in the split um, across Bardstown. It's all commercial. Um, you can just barely see the landscaping for the residential use to the, to the bottom of the screen there. Next. So this is the sign exhibit. Um, the top portion where it says Cosair signers, that is the existing sign. And then the picture is the proposed um, changing image sign that they will be adding to the existing structure. Next. 
So this is a view of the subject site across um, Butcher Bypass. This is actually from the residential use. So this is what that residential use, which is multifamily senior housing, this is what they'll see. Um, as you can see, there is some landscaping that will partially obstruct the view of that changing image sign. But um, it's like I said, it, they're, they're gonna be able to see that changing image sign from their, from like their balconies. Next. Um, and this is from Bardstown Road, looking back towards the property. Um, as you can see off there to the left, that is the existing sign um, that they are adding the changing image sign to. Next. And this is a view from the sign um, looking across Beachville Bypass at the residential. As you can see, there are some apartments right there that will be able to see the sign. Next. Um, and this is just views looking west from the sign location, looking east. You can see the adjoining um, properties and different um, signs that also are similar to this one as far as size. Um, no changing image signs, though. Next. So staff finds this variance and the waiver are both adequately justified based off of the analysis contained in the standards of review. Next. Required action today is to approve or deny the variance to allow the sign to exceed maximum area permitted, and then approve or deny the waiver to allow a changing image sign within 300 feet of residential use. Do y'all have any questions for me? The time that the sign would be, uh, that the changing image sign would be uh, not as bright, is that a standard 10 p.m.? Yes, so it is one of the requirements of uh, Chapter 8 that they have auto dimming features and um, the applicant has submitted details about the changing image sign. It does have auto dimming features. Most of the times they have sensors, so when the light, when the ambient light starts to get darker, the sign automatically starts reducing its brightness. So that could occur before 10. Yeah, it, yeah, whatever whatever yeah. dusk is, it'll automatically yeah. start. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But we can also, if you feel like the brightness is an issue, you can just talk to the applicant. They could also do something else as well, program in. Okay. Members, questions for Heather? Okay. I don't believe so. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I have a speaker card for Mr. Hall. Good afternoon, Mr. Hall. Good afternoon. Yeah, thank you. All right, would you raise your right hand and I'll swear you in. You swear that the testimony you're about to give today is the truth. I do. Name and address, please. Timothy Hall, 324 Dale Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40229. Please proceed with your testimony. Thank you. Good afternoon, board members, staff members, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name's Tim Hall. I'm a Cosair Shriner and a member of the board of directors at Cosair Shriners. Uh, I'm the, my title's actually Chief Reban. I expect to be potentate next, next year. Cosair Shriners is uh, one of 201 shrines in the world. Most of you know what the Shriners do, so I won't go into the philanthropy here. Cosair Shriners is located at 4120 Bardstown Road, across from Bob Hook Chevrolet in the Butchell neighborhood. We've been at this location since February of 2015. 
Prior to that, COSER was located on 2nd Street, just south of Broadway in downtown Louisville. Since moving to the Bartstown Road location, COSER has endeavored to be more involved with the local community. One of our biggest successes has been Thursday night karaoke when over 200 people come to COSER for fun, food, and drink. COSER also has a ballroom available to rent for special events. However, without proper signage, COSER has found it difficult to promote events at the new Shrine Center. Some other weekly events we have are line dancing instruction on Tuesday night, ballroom dancing instruction on Wednesday night, and family dinner on Friday night, in addition to the karaoke on Thursday. In addition, we have events on Saturday. Uh, for example, we have dances, car shows, and other events. It's been difficult to promote uh, these events. It's not uncommon for people to wander into the shrine and ask about the venue saying, we didn't even know this place was here. Uh, Coaster would like to install an LED sign below our current identification sign to make the public aware of coming events at the Coaster Shrine Center. The sign would list regular events and other events open to the public. Total sign, size of the sign and proximity to residential structure require COSER obtain a waiver and or variance for the new sign. As previously stated, the sign will be attached below the current COSER Shriners identification sign located at the southwest corner of the building. This sign is set back off of Bartstown Road uh, at least 120 feet. That setback makes a large sign necessary in order to be readable from Bartstown Road. The sign will only be visible to Bartstown Road traffic and the illumination from the sign will be visible only to the Bartstown Road side. There's a residential property, assist, uh, which is assisted living or retirement community across Bartstown Road from the Coaster Shriners property. The residential property is approximately 220 feet from the proposed sign location. In order not to be intrusive, the sign illumination will be dimmed or turned off between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Coaster wants to be a good neighbor. The existing sign is approximately nine and a half feet by 12 feet. The sign addition will be six feet by 12 feet, six feet tall by 12 feet wide. The total current sign area is 114 square feet. The sign addition will be 72 square feet. The sign addition will be 39% of the total sign area when installed. Total sign dimensions after the addition of the new LED will be 21 feet tall by 12 feet wide. Coaster appreciates your favorable consideration of the requested waiver and variance. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Hall. Members, any questions for Mr. Hall? Tim, so that sign will actually be facing the road and the residents across the street won't see it straight on, correct? Straight They'd on. only see it 90 degrees, the edge of it. That is correct, yes, sir. That's the old Sam Swope lot, isn't it? Uh, the Coaster yeah. site, yes, sir, it is. It was, I remember. Coaster was a, I mean, I'm sorry, Sam Swope was one of our members. Yeah. Very good. Thank you, and thank you for your work. Thank you. But the new sign will not be as tall as the existing sign. Well, the sign that's there is going to be where it is. It goes underneath it, oh, so it won't display. make it any taller. Right, okay. it won't be okay. any taller. That's okay. correct. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I don't have any other speaker cards for this case. 
All right. Um, if there's no one signed up to speak in opposition or neutral, we'll close the public hearing at this time and move into deliberations. So members, you had an opportunity to read the staff report and hear the testimony regarding the sign, the Cozair Shrine freestanding sign. Um, we understand that the sign display will not directly face uh, the senior housing across the street, but will be at an angle and uh, ambient lighting will control the brightness of the sign each day. So, Madam. Yes. Are you done? Like I, I, I am. I, I am. No, I just wanted to summarize for you. No, you did great. I, you were taking a breath. I'm sorry. Um, Madam Chairman, regarding case 23, variance 0108, I make a motion that we grant the variance. Uh, I base this on our staff report, the staff recommendation, the testimony we've heard here today. That's done. Been properly moved and seconded to approve the variance to allow the freestanding sign to exceed the maximum area permitted. Call for vote, please. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Budorf? Yes. Bozos? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bond? Yes. Variance has been approved. Is there a motion on the waiver? Madam Chairman, regarding waiver for this case uh, from land uh, development section 8.2.1.d.6, I make a motion that we grant the variance or the waiver. I base this on the fact of the orientation of the sign being perpendicular to the road and therefore not as intrusive as it would be if it was facing directly towards it. Is there a second? And the testimony that we've heard today and the staff recommendation and all that stuff I forgot. I second. All right. It's been properly moved and seconded to approve the waiver from Land Development Code uh, to allow the changing image sign. Call for vote, please. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Budorf? Yes. Bozos? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bond? Yes. All right. Heather and Mr. Hall, the variance and waiver have been approved. Thank you. Next item on the agenda is 23 variance 0116. Heather, up again. Thank you. So this is 7709 Bardstown Road. Uh, this is for a freestanding sign for a church, um, Cedar Creek Baptist Church. Next. Uh, so there are two variances on the table today. Um, one is um, from Land Development Code Section 8.3.3, Table 8.3.3, which is to allow a freestanding side to exceed the maximum height permitted along a designated parkway. And then the second variance is from Section 8.2.1D4 to allow changing image sign to be greater than 30% of the total sign area. Next. Um, so this property is on C1 and R4. It's in the neighborhood form district. The proposed sign will be in the C1 portion of the subject site. Um, this portion of Bardstown Road, which is uh, south of the uh, Gene Snyder, is in the, a designated parkway. Um, the requested is to replace the existing sign, which is also a monument sign, with a new monument sign, which will be 54.3 square feet, and then it'll be 11.79 uh, feet tall. Um, included in this new sign will be a changing image sign that will be 21.49 square feet. Next. Here's the um, dimensions table. Um, so the total sign area uh, maximum permitted is 60 square feet um, for six feet tall. That is the parkway standards. 
Um, the proposed sign will be less than the maximum area, 54.3, but the height will be greater at 11.79 uh, feet tall. The changing image sign area requirement for that size, which this is based off of the 54, would be 16.29 square feet, and the request is going to be 21.49. And then the um, parkway buffer also has a sign style requirement of either monument or columnar. This sign is a monument, so it meets that requirement. Next. So here is an aerial showing the location. You can see the interstate to the north there along Bardstown Road. Next. So here's the subject property. Um, it is a long property. Um, it doesn't have a lot of frontage. It's almost like a flag lot. The um, purple marker there is where this sign will be. Next. And here is a close-up. As you can see, the church, they've got parking off to the north. They've got a secondary access off of Brentlinger. The sign is going to be located off of Bardstown Road where the existing sign is. Next. So here is the sign exhibit showing the proposed sign. Um, and the changing image sign is there in the center where it has the picture with the date and uh, temperature. Next. This is a view of the subject property from Bardstown Road. As you can see, the sign is, you know, angled so that oncoming traffic will be able to see it best. Um, and the new sign will be in the same location as the existing sign. Next. So this is a closer up view of the existing sign. Next. Um, this is a view looking north uh, towards the city. Um, you can see the interstate off there in the distance. Next. And this one is across Bardstown Road. This is one of the new um, retail developments that's gone out you know, near South Point Commons is to the north. This is a lot of retail development going on in this area right now. And this is one of the new um, centers. Next. And then this is looking south towards Bullitt County. As you can see, it's all retail in the area, um, no residential within, within view of this sign. Next. So staff finds this variance and waiver are adequately justified um, based on the analysis contained in the standards of review. Next. And then the required actions today are approve or deny the variance um, to allow the sign to exceed the maximum height and approve or deny the variance to allow the changing image sign to be greater than 30% of the total sign area. Do you all have any questions for me today? Doesn't appear so, Heather. Okay. Can we go back to this, this slide, Joe, of um, the existing sign? Mm -hmm. And is there any way the two signs, you have a picture, a photo of the two signs side by side or? Any way to do that? Right there. So I do know um, um, Joel came to me. There was a question up from um, KYTC about the sign being in the right of way. Um, and I, we believe that that um, the smaller sign, which is a historical marker sign, um, that looks to be the sign that's in the right of way. But the sign they're going to put up is going to replace the other monument sign. Right, the white one. Mm -hmm. So that historical marker sign is not being touched or changed at all. Yeah, that historical marker will stay. I, yeah. I think what I'm trying to say is the current monument sign and the new monument sign together, we don't have that. No, no, the current okay. sign is going to be removed and replaced with the new one. Yeah, okay. So no right-of-way issues? No, no, We I did have a discussion with KYTC. I found a, a minor plat from, I think it was 2099, that showed that there is a marker so the property owner can find the exact property line with that survey marker and, and make sure that their new sign will not be in the right-of-way. Okay, thank you. Any other questions for Heather? Yeah, please. Um, can you say that again about the sign? Is that sign currently on the right of way? So the question, the, the map that the KYTC sent us showed a sign 
And then after doing some investigation, we believe it's the historical marker sign that's in the right of way. And then the private sign for the church is not in the right of way. Currently. So that's cleared up about yeah. the uh, mm -hmm. transportation folks. Right. Good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Heather. Mm -hmm. Excellent report. Excellent. I Seems have like a... It's going to be 11.79 feet tall. Yeah. So that's, that's a substantial sign. But I'm just saying that if you see the two pictures right. next to each other, that right. would give us a perspective. It's one thing for us to think Correct. of, and it's another thing to see it. I would say probably twice as high. Could we go, I'm sorry, could we go back to the the uh, picture of the proposed sign? Because I'm thinking the five, the five feet taller is going to be at the highest peak. Well, there's not much of a peak. Okay. So I guess it's tall because of the bottom. The base, I should say the base. It doesn't <laughs> look bad. I don't know about side by side, but it is five feet seventy-nine, five point seven nine feet taller than the existing. I was hoping it was gonna have something to do with a peak yes. to be the tallest, but it's not. All right, members. Any discussion? More discussion on the sign height? Okay. All right. Thank you, Heather. Um, I have a speaker card for Mike Borland. Good afternoon, Mr. Borland. Good afternoon. If you raise your right hand, I'll swear you in. You swear that the testimony you're about to give today is the truth. Yes, I do. Name and address, please. Uh, Mike Borland, 9902 Melissa Drive, Louisville, Kentucky. Please proceed. All right. I want to thank you for your time. Uh, I'll try to be brief. My name is Mike Borland. I'm one of the pastors of Cedar Creek Baptist Church. A little bit of background about us. Our church was founded in 1792. Uh, this is our fifth location. The building we have at 7709 Bardstown Road, it was originally built in 1962. Uh, the letter sign we were seeking to replace, I don't know exactly when it was there, but it's been there for many decades. Um, and it's our desire to replace it with something that's newer, a little bit more modern, easier to change, easier to manage, uh, and obviously a little bit taller. Uh, just a little bit about the character of the area. So we do have South Point Commons uh, to a couple lots uh, away from us. They have a 30-foot sign. Waffle House on the other side of us has a 30-foot sign on a stick. Across from us is Cedar Creek Crossings. Uh, they have an, a few signs on the road, and then every storefront has a sign. So we feel that this doesn't change uh, that part of the character of the area. As far as why we would ask you to replace this for us or waive this variance, uh, the question was asked about the current sign. So the current sign is nine feet tall. So we were asking for 12 feet, so just a, a three-foot increment. Uh, and, and I'll say this just as a point of record. When we started designing the sign replacement, uh, we were under the understanding we could do a 12-foot sign uh, without any variance or any problem. It's the fact that we're on a scenic byway, which starts at Gene Snyder and heads south. So we're a half mile, quarter mile, too close to the freeway. And that's why the, you know, the, the regulation only limits us to six feet. If we were further in, 12 feet would have been fine based upon the other aspects of our site. So we proceeded with this design in good faith. We didn't just pick a big number and try to build a massive sign. Um, we do believe the new sign is modern looking, well 
improve the, the aesthetic of the area. And the other thing I'll mention, and, and Heather spoke to, and I appreciate that, Heather, uh, our campus in total is about nine acres. So this sign, we're asking for one sign off Bardstown to represent our nine acre campus. You know, across from us is Cedar Creek Commons. It's a five acre development. They have a few signs. They have another dozen signs or so on buildings. Uh, when it comes to signs, you have obviously freestanding signs and you have large lettering on buildings. We will have no letterings on buildings. So we are asking for this one sign and this one sign only to represent our church to the community um, for our entire nine acre campus. Um, the sign is set back, set back about 30 feet from the road. So in addition to a five foot or five lane artillery roadway, we had that 30 foot. So that's why we thought the larger, taller sign was needed. The width is the same. So just back to the current sign, same width, just a little bit taller. Uh, and then the last few things I'll mention is we do desire, and you know, we're a church obviously, but we do desire to partner with the community. Uh, Bates Elementary School is next door to us. We allow them to use our facility. They just had a cross country match um, on our property. They use our gym every Wednesday for volleyball and basketball, I think, in the various seasons. Uh, we've been lately partnering with LKY, which is an athletic association in the area to use our gym for some of their services to uh, youth doing uh, sporting programs. There's an organization called F3, which uh, is an exercise thing that men do in the parking lot very early in the morning, and we've given them access to our facility for that. Viper Baseball uses a baseball diamond we have in the back. We've given them access to that. Um, in the past, we've been a Red Cross um, facility. For disasters, we're out of compliance because our uh, locker rooms, there's some problem with the water and the showers and things, but we're seeking to remedy that. We would like to do that again. So we do desire to partner with the community and um, yeah, I think that's just about everything I wanted to say. So thank you for your time. Let me ask you a quick question. Um, am I correct that when you're on Barstown Road, you kind of go up a little bit up? I mean, is the church a little higher or is it flat? A bit, but, but not much. The base of the sign, my understanding, I did some measurements, but the base of the sign is maybe four feet above road level. We're, we're 30 foot setback and we're maybe four foot elevation, the base of the sign. Gotcha. Thank you. Welcome. Pastor Borland. Don't believe there are any. Thank you. All right, I don't have any other speaker cards on this case. So that being said, I'll close the public hearing and we'll go into deliberations. Regarding the church freestanding free sign. Members, any discussion on the, the sign? Sign height, sign design. I have one question, Madam Chair. Regarding the height of the sign, the um, minister Bon Borland, Borland, <laughs> I think I don't have my glasses on, said that the current sign is nine feet tall. So that means that uh, based on testimony, it's not five point uh, feet and a variance. It would be a three foot point seven nine variance, I guess. Is that correct? Heather, can you speak to that, please? 
So the variance request is actually from the requirement itself. So the existing sign is, is non-conforming because this is a parkway. I don't know when it was designated parkway, but the regular sign standards will allow a taller sign. The parkway limits it to six feet. And so the request is from the parkway of six feet. From the parkway six yes. feet. Okay. Yeah. So we can't, it doesn't matter that we heard that it, the existing sign is nine feet. We've still got to go with the 11 feet. The board can consider the existing conditions as part of their, of part of their analysis of the request, but the variance is from the land development code requirements. We have to stick with the ver land right. yeah, The variance that will be received if you all move to approve will be a variance from LDC to exceed the six foot height okay. and B. Yeah. From it, the it sounds like, code. yeah, it sounds like a variance wasn't granted for the nine feet because okay. it sounds like the nine okay. feet was more of a non-conforming situation. Variance from the land development. Right. I'm trying to get all of this in my ears <laughs> from the land development code. Okay. <laughs> I might note that we did have one comment that we received in opposition um, related to the number of signs in the area existing signs. Okay, any other discussion? Okay, hearing none, I'll close the public hearing and um, we're in deliberations. Any other discussion? Oh, there... Madam Chair, I'm I guess based on the area, I think the sign is comp is compatible with the signage in the area. Um, and I know because of the various land development code changes that we make over time, we cause these type of variances to have to come in. Um, I I personally think that the sign is appropriate, and I personally think that the variances should be approved. Um, and with that, unless somebody else has a problem and somebody else wants to make the motion, I'll make it. Please proceed. <laughs> okay. Uh, because both of these are variances, I can make them in one motion. Yes. Uh, Madam Chair, regarding 23 variance 0116 for the church freestanding sign at 7709 Bartstown Road, I move that we approve the variances, and I will state them, of the land, well, variance from the Land Development Code Section 8.3.3, Table 8.3.3, to allow a freestanding sign to exceed the maximum height permitted along a designated parkway. And I base this on the uh, staff analysis as well as the testimony that we heard today. And uh, do I need to say anything else? Oh, no, no. Oh, and the variance from the Land Development Code Section 8.2.1.D.4 to allow a changing image sign to be greater than the 30% of the total sign area, which is. 21.4, is it, is it 16 point? Yeah, and it's uh, the proposed area will be 21.49 square feet. What's yes. permitted is 16.29 square feet. So it's a difference of from the 30% area. 
Yes. But I base this also on the staff analysis and the testimony we've heard today, and I do not feel that the uh, uh, changing of image sign will affect any residential areas because the sign location is greater than 300 feet from any residentially used property. Is there a second? Second. Those are. Thank you. It's been moved and seconded to approve variance, both variances from land development code to allow a freestanding sign to exceed the maximum height and to allow a changing image sign to be greater than 30% of the total sign area. Ready for vote. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Budorf? Yes. Bozos? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bond? Yes. Both variances have been approved. Thank you. Next item is 23 variants 0139. Heather? Thank you. Good day for signs. Yes, <laughs> got a lot of them this week. Um, this one is for UPS. This is at 4525 Crittenden Drive. Uh, <clears throat> next. So this is a variance from the Land Development Code Section 8.3.3, Table 8.3.2. To allow, a, I'm sorry, this is an attached sign. I, I, that's a typo. To allow an attached sign to exceed the maximum area permitted. Uh, next. So this property is in multiple zoning districts. Uh, it is owned by the airport. Um, there's R6, C1, C2, C3, CM, and M2. It is in the suburban workplace form district. The entire property is 85.74 acres. And the new hangar on which this sign will be attached is 274 and 111 square feet. Um, it is a very large building. Um, the proposed sign itself is um, 1,092 square feet. It will be attached to the east, east facade facing airport. I do have a typo in my report saying that it's on the west. It is actually on the east facade facing the airport. Next. Um, so here's the requirements. Um, the maximum size permitted for an attached sign anywhere in the county is 750 square feet. And then again, this proposed size is 1,092 square feet. Next. So here is a aerial image. You can see the subject property there in the center. Um, to the north is the Waterson. To the east is the airport. Um, and to the west is some industrial uses and then some neighborhoods. Next. Here's the zoning. As you can see, there's multiple zonings on the parcel. Uh, next. Here's a close-up. Um, this is before the hangar was built. This is when it was still under construction. Um, as you can see, there's quite a bit of uh, work. As you can see right there along Crittenden Drive, directly across from the property is a railroad tracks and then um, some industrial. And so there is quite a bit of um, other uses before you actually get to the residential uses. Next. Um, so here is an exhibit of the sign. It's going to be a logo, the UPS logo attached to the side of the hangar, uh, 36 feet tall. Here is a view of the east facade. You can see um, the um, logo there. Um, despite the size, as you can see, compared to the size of the building, it still looks pretty small because it is, I think, um, the facade is about 70,000, 71,000 square feet. It's a very large hangar. So the size of the sign, even though it's very large, looks small in comparison to the size of the building. Next. 
So here is a view, um, this is from last year of the hangar being built. This is a view from Crittenden Drive, next. And this is a view um, from further south, so Crittenden Drive kind of curves around this property. This is the only part of um, the public right away that you'll actually be able to see that sign is going to be on that front part of the um, hangar facing the airport. So as you come around Critton Drive, you will be able to see it. But as you can see, there is a, a privacy fence and some buffer, so it is pretty far from the roadway. Next. And then this is a view looking south. Um, as you can see, across the Critton Drive is the railroad with a, with a fence, so the hangar is not super visible to the residential that's further back. Next. And this is looking east. This is the airport. Um, so this was, you know, across from where the sign will be. Next. And then this is the view of the subject site from the Waterson. So as I'm sure you Paul have seen it being built as you drive Waterson, you can see the, the hangar from the interstate. Next. So staff finds this variance is adequately justified um, based upon the analysis and standards of review. Next. Required action today is to approve or deny the variance from Land Development Code's uh, Table 8.3.2 to allow an attached sign, not freestanding, um, to exceed the maximum area permitted. Do you all have any questions? One, so the, the sign is not lit in any way? I it's do believe it's going to be internally lit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank but, you. Mm -hmm. Any questions for Heather? Doesn't look like it. Thank you. I have a speaker card for Timothy Logue. Do you approach the podium, please. <clears throat> Raise your right hand. Do you swear the testimony you're about to give today is the truth? I do. Name and address. Uh, Timothy Logue, 150 East Lakeshore Drive, Lake Elsinore, California, uh, 92530. Okay, and you're here to speak in support? Second. Yes. Please proceed. So I'm just a representative for Blair Image who fabricates this sign. Um, and I'm really here just to answer any questions that you might have about the sign, the attachment, the size of the building. If you haven't actually stood next to this building, it is enormous. I mean, you could actually put a football field inside where the, the plans are going to be. It's designed to hold two 747s at the same time. So, I mean, it's, it's massive. So. Being in the sign business for 20 plus years, when you get big and you get high, things get really small. So it sounds like a big sign. It is a big sign, but it's a huge building. So. Seems so. Yes, right. we're actually installing the, we installed the first sign that's been permitted. It's a 12 foot. We're about, we're working through the 24 foot on the north elevation right now. Okay. Um, these, these signs are attached directly to the building structure itself. Um, they go right through the panels. The panels are not what we're attaching to, so. And they are internally lit? Yes. It's okay. illuminated with LED, and it's not something that's going to be bright. It's just something that's going to so, be able to see it, yeah, at night. It looks like the uh, vehicular assembly plant down at NASA. Question? <laughs> just for curiosity, what would that sign weigh or sign that size? Well, the thing with signs these days is they're made out of aluminum, and even aluminum gets heavy. At times, I would say that sign is right around the thousand pound. 
it comes in four sections. That's we're going to install it a section mm -hmm. at a time. Okay. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And was any other questions for Mr. Logue? Don't believe so. Thank you. I don't have any other speaker cards for this case. So at this point, I'll close the public hearing. We'll move into deliberations. On 23 variance 0139, the UPS attached sign. Any discussion? If there is none, ready for a motion. Madam Chair, Member Ford, I'd like to make a motion. Please proceed. Uh, Regarding 23 variance 0139, the UPS attached sign, um, the request is for a variance of the Land Development Code LDC section 8.3.3, table 8.3.2, to allow a freestanding sign to exceed the maximum area permitted. Uh, make the motion that we approve the variance uh, based on the testimony. The, We've heard today the staff report and um, the testimony of the uh, representative from the sign company. There a second. Second, Horton. One minor tweak to the motion. Um, the staff had corrected during their presentation that it's to allow an attached sign rather than a freestanding sign. Oh, okay. So, uh, just an amend amendment to the motion that it would be an attached sign rather than a freestanding. On the east facade. Seconds agreed. Yeah. Okay. It's been properly moved and seconded uh, to approve 23 variance 0139, um, including the changes to the staff report as stated. We're ready for a vote. Horton. Yes. Ford. Yes. Mudorf. Yes. Bozos. Yes. Howard. Yes. Bond. Yes. The variance has been approved. Thank you. Now, 23 variance 0129, Chinook Lane fence variance. Hi, Jeremy. Hello. Name and address, please. Jeremy Chesler, Office of Planning Staff, <clears throat> 444 South Fifth Street, 40202. This is 23 variance 0129, Chenoweth Lane fence variance. The request is for a variance from Land Development Code Section 4.4.3.A.1.A.I to allow fence to exceed the maximum height of 48 inches in the street side yard setback. Uh, in the street side yard setback, the maximum height is 48 inches or 4 feet. They are requesting 72 inches or 6 feet, which would be a variance of 24 inches or 2 feet. Next slide, please. Uh, so this is in the neighborhood form district. There's currently a single family residence with one accessory structure on the property. Uh, and the applicant is proposing a wooden privacy fence with one section of ornamental metal. Uh, so at the maximum, it will be 72 inches or six feet tall on the street side yard setback, um, exceeding the maximum height by 24 inches or two feet. Uh, and then the applicant did submit two adjoining property signatures, uh, owner signatures as well. So here's the zoning map, all residential zoning around there. 
the aerial photograph so you can see it's at the corner of Chenoweth Lane and Druid Hills Road. Uh, and then the site plan. So I believe that the dashed green and brown line is where there's going to be wooden fence that's six feet tall. And then the ornamental metal will be the sort of dashed yellow and red. And that will be only 48 inches, which will be in compliance with the regulation. Uh, site photos. So the front of the subject property sort of along Chenoweth Lane there. Uh, site photos, the top is looking across Chenoweth Lane, and then the bottom is looking across Druid Hills Road. Um, the top left is going to be to the left of the subject property along Druid Hills Road, and then the bottom right is to the right along Chenoweth Lane. Uh, the fence exhibit, so I believe that these are just examples, not the actual picture. Um, but the sort of top right is where the fence will be 72 inches and exceeding that height by two feet. Um, then the bottom is just the other example that the applicant provided. Uh, staff finds that the requested variance is adequately justified based on staff's analysis contained in the standard or review. And then the required action will be to approve or deny the variance from land development code section 4.4.3 to allow a fence to exceed the maximum height of 48 inches or four feet in the street side yard setback. Madam Chair, could I ask a question? Yes. Jeremy, could Jeremy, could you go back to the slide that shows the, the fence, uh, the 72 inch height on the, it was a picture. Yeah, that one. Is that an example of the fence or is that in their yard? At, well, this, what am I trying to say? Is that the outside of the fence in, that's adjacent to a, a neighbor? So I believe that this is just the example that the fence company provided to the applicant. Okay, so I, the reason I'm asking, because if that's adjacent to the neighbor, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But if it's not, I mean, I mean, they can have the exterior to the neighbor, but if that's the way their yard is going to look, then that would not be fine. They'd have to turn the fence up right. the other way. Okay. Yeah, and I believe Thank the applicant you. could answer that question better than I can. And and so for board members, I just wanted to also clarify the the site plan and where the variance request is uh, the, the fence that you see, if you can see my cursor up on the screen, the fence over here, that's all compliant. Actually, the aluminum ornamental fence is 48, inch, 48 inches, yeah. so it's actually in compliance here. Mm -hmm. yeah. The only location where a variance is necessary is where my cursor hit, is here for 40 feet okay. and for 12 feet, and that is the proposed wood-type fence um, uh, this is not built yet. This site does not have any zoning enforcement related to the fence. So this is a proposed okay. fence. Thank you. Jeremy, I just want to say this because Lulu did, and she really appreciates the inches and the feet on the report. Yes, I do. <laughs> just, just like that. Good deal. All right. Uh, Jeremy, did you receive signatures from all of the adjoining property owners? It was only two of them, um, 401 Chenoweth Lane and Three three nine zero four Druid Hills Road. 
Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So for the board, that's the property where I have the cursor and the property immediately across the street. So the most affected. So Joe, if, if they've got the adjoining neighbors, why didn't this go into business? They don't have all of the adjoining neighbors. You have to have 100% of the adjoining property owners, including, including those across streets or alleys. Got it. But those are most impacted. Okay. All right. Thank you. One more question. Do you have photographs of surrounding fences? Did you find anything, any fences? There like are some along Chenoweth Lane, but nothing with an approved variance. Uh, that's why they weren't cited in there. But there are other fences that appear to be exceeding that 48 inches. But without variances? Correct. I see. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I have a speaker card for Brian Silvas. Good afternoon, Mr. Silvers. Good afternoon. You swear that the testimony you're about to give today is the truth. Yeah. Name and address, please. Brian Silvers, 353 Chenoweth Lane, Louisville, Kentucky, 40207. Please proceed. I don't have a huge presentation. Jeremy did a great job. I appreciate that. Um, as the homeowner and applicant, I just wanted to make sure, as the homeowner and applicant, I just wanted to make sure I was here and available to answer any questions that the board had and certainly appreciate your time and consideration. Members, any questions for Mr. Silvers? So out there, where, yes, ma'am, uh, where, where Joel was showing us, so you got uh, 12 feet and then 40 feet of this six foot tall fence and then going parallel to the driveway, you're going to drop it back down to the ornamental fence that's going around the rest of the backyard. Correct. So the the overall request of what, what we are looking to build is a six foot privacy fence all the ways around. But you're correct, like the, that yellow line there on the driveway, that would only be 48 inches or four feet high. We're choosing to do um, black ornamental or iron fence just from a tap so we can see when someone pulls into the driveway. But we are requesting to do six feet, I guess, around the side yard there where it's green, just to kind of have the, the same look and height as the rest of the fence across the property. Brian, in the in the example that was shown earlier, uh, they had landscaping on the outside of it. Is that something you plan to do? Uh, so currently, on if this, you get your variance. What's that? If you get the variance, yeah. uh, so, so it's something that we would be certainly open to doing. Actually, just this side of the property line, from that green line to the road, is actually technically not our property. It's actually an easement owned by the utility company. So we certainly could choose to um, build some landscaping, but it wouldn't necessarily be our property. So at the moment, it's not our plan to do that, but. Who does the easement belong to? Uh, I believe it belongs to the um, LG&E util or utility company, yeah. Question, Madam Chair? Yes. Thank you. Um, in my notes here somewhere, uh, I took it off of the uh, information. It was talking about landscaping and vegetation will help provide cover and so forth. Where is the vegetation that they might be talking about in this? Uh, I would, I think where they'd be maybe talking about that and it's hard to see, I guess, in this visual image, but there's actually, a, and the, there's another image you can see it, but there's actually a very large tree right there. Right where the mouth, the mouse is covering. 
So that might be where they are re referring to. So for the board members, uh, I hope I can help explain this. There is uh, an, an, um, uh, a dense um, row of evergreen trees here at the rear. Um, so typically when, when street side fences are proposed, we may or may not receive objection to the fence based on someone's enjoyment of their front yard and existing views that they may have of the street or the intersection. Um, in this case, staff found that because that view is already heavily ob obstructed and mitigated with um, evergreen trees, that there would not be um, an impact from a fence that's six feet tall because it's already impacted by a dense row of, of vegetation. So that is the the landscaping that was being discussed um, in the staff report along with the tree that is present. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? So who owns that fence next to the driveway, you or your neighbor? The, the vegetation he's talking about, that actually is our property line. It's within our property line. So is that, but it was there, we purchased this home about two and a half years ago, and it's been there, I'm, I'm sure, years before that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Joel, the property directly behind where the vegetation is, the row of evergreens. Is, is that a property, remind me, where we received a signature from an adjoining property owner? Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. I don't have any other speaker cards um, in support, opposition, or neutral to this case. So I'll close the public hearing and we'll move into deliberations. Any discussion on allowing the fence to exceed the maximum height of four feet in the street side yard setback based on the testimony you've heard today? Madam Chair, I'd like to make a motion if there's no discussion. I just want to ask one quick question. You may remember this. It wasn't too long ago we had a case with a fence on the side over on her lane. Everybody remember that? Anybody remember that? And they wanted the privacy fence. That the one that's really close to the street, kinda. Yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. How tall was that fence? Do you remember? Six feet. Six feet. It was very close to the street. I mean, I think there was like just maybe two, two or three feet between the fence and the actual street. I feel like this one is set back far enough, and um, it doesn't show it. Maybe it showed it in one of those pictures, but there is a significant tree there between in that easement area. It's huge. It's a huge tree. So. Any other discussion? All right, there is none. Please proceed. Yes, your motion. Thank you. With regard to case number 23 variance 0129, the Chinawith lane fence variance. I move that we approve the variance from land development code to allow a fence to exceed the maximum height of 48 inches in the street side yard setback location street side yard requirement is 48 inches. The request is 72 inches, thus creating a variance of 24 inches. Base this on the staff report and testimony and discussion. Thank you. 
today. There a second. Seconded. Been properly moved and seconded uh, to approve 23 variants 0129. Call for vote. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Budorf? No. Bozos? Yes. Howard? I think I'm going to say yes, but I'm totally confused when I look at the map and see Druid Hills Road is the street side yard, and I just can't see where, I mean, the picture that I see where the fence is is different from. <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, can you help us with that? Beach with Lane, but I don't know what's going on here. Page five of five on the staff report. This is, this is the street side yard, but the fence is way back here, so I'm confused. It's the front yard is going to be the one that's not as wide on a corner lot. Is that what your question is? I'm questioning where the fence and the variances are in terms of where we're saying this. The fence is. The fence is here, isn't it? Well, this is not. Oh, they're proposing it there. Okay, well, see, I was looking at that to be the proposal. That's what, okay. Okay, that's, okay. I'm sorry, I was confused. So, member, member Howard, I've got the plan up on the screen. It's been rotated. So, Chenoweth Lane is here. Druid right, Hills that's is here. Yard. Okay, that's yeah, fine. I was just side. confused by looking at the map on the yeah, it's thanks yeah, to rotate the picture in the staff report. Okay. All right. Member Howard. Uh, uh yes. Bond. <laughs> yes. The variance has been approved. Thank you. Um Chair, can we consider going back? We're getting ready to get past the variances now, and we had a variance that we tabled. Um we typically like to hear all the variances before we proceed to other matters. Staff would like the board to consider going back to that, but obviously it would take a motion. And Madam uh, Chair, regarding um, that we've just finished the, the variances and we have one variance that has been tabled, which is 23 variance 0063. I move that we now hear that case. Is there a second? Second. Bozos been moved and seconded to untable and hear the case for 23 variants 0063. We're ready for vote. Yes. Horton. Horton. Yes. Ford. Yes. Budorf. Yes. Fozos. Yes. Howard. Yes. Bond. Yes. All right. So, Amy, you had. <laughs> You had um, already delivered your staff report. Do you have additional information to share with us? No, I do not. Okay. I was just here to answer questions. If you had any before you brought up the applicant. Sure. Of course. Thank you. Any questions for Amy? So I would just like to state for the board that Amy did have a discussion with the applicants to oh. fill them in on what occurred um, prior to their presence um, that she presented the case presented the case as staff uh, not being favorable and recommending denial um, and indicated where this project was um, as far as its status. So we are ready to hear from the applicant. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. I have a speaker card for Catherine Nolasco. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. 
For you, Ms. Nalasco? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, you raise your right hand. You swear that the testimony you're about to give today is the truth. Yes. Name and address, please. Catherine Alasco, 1015 Reeds Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40219. Please proceed with your testimony. Um, basically, she has in mind um, to cut down the fence for it to be eight feet. Um, she's, well, we're wanting to get an extension um, during the process. So she can get the, the fence to be shortened to eight feet, um, an engineer to look at the uh, retaining wall, and then to hire a surveyor. surveyor. So you all just applying, would like to be a continuance. Right. So that you can gather more information. And how much time do you think you need for that? What would be the maximum amount that you guys could give? Those two guys over there are the wizard. There technically is no maximum to her question, but we are dealing with the open enforcement case, which you've already continued once over. And you have to be mindful of that that came from a complaint from a neighbor. And I'll also note, we reached out to construction review. It's not built um in a way that a building permit can get obtained and so there's potentially a safety issue with the fence as well so if you do entertain a continuance i wouldn't kick it too far. far into the future and i would um, only continue it if you felt that those changes you mentioned are something you could support there's no reason to continue it for the sake of continuing it if you're going to deny it then anyway because you don't like the way it looks are, are there fines that are being incurred? Um, We've stayed the case for the board, but I, I would say when we stayed it, we weren't anticipating months of review. Um, at some point, um, we're going to be in a situation where we're going to have to resume enforcement, but we'll stay it again if you decide to continue it. Um, but I don't know how the person that filed the complaint We'll feel about that okay and there are questions as to whether or not a building permit can be obtained what i'm hearing i, be I believe the applicant also indicated that they would have the property surveyed um, after the august hearing staff went out to the site there is an msd easement at the rear uh, it is unclear whether or not this structure is within the msd easement as well So MSD will need to be contacted on, on this one to ensure that um, the retaining wall one isn't within the easement. And if it's with if it's on the boundary, it's built in a structurally sound manner. Uh, let me ask. Thank you, Joe. Let me ask a couple quick questions. Did did the applicant build this fence or was it there? when? She yeah, built? it was built. It was built before they bought the property. No, oh, they built it. And so as I look at this drawing, they could easily cut this down to eight foot because it's just the metal that extends up past the supporting structure. Right. And then the question I have for staff or somebody about the retaining wall, is this something that's come from somebody uh, about a permit or a reason? Because my understanding is you don't need a permit unless it's over four foot. Yeah, you need retaining walls and you need permits at certain levels, both at two feet and at four feet. 
Um, one requires an engineer. I know Amy has had conversations with Sherry Zink. Um, when you go over to within the MSD easement at the rear, the grade has been changed of the property pretty significantly where the properties used to fall away into the easement. The grade is now changed to elevate it. And on the property side, the, the uh, land is almost level with that retaining wall. That's about three feet tall that that drops away. So it's three feet or give or take plus the fence that's that's on top of it. That's a survey would show all that. Is what? Ideally. Yeah. Did you guys say that there was a safety hazard with the current? Uh, there is a, there is a concern with the construction method not having a permit that its location at the rear within an easement um, and uh, given that the grade has been changed it's unclear whether or not that retaining wall can support the changing grade that would all be discovered or revealed when you request a proper permit to change the grade and disturb the ground both with construction review and MSD. Do we have any idea how deep the retaining wall goes underground? We're, we're not sure. That's part of the issue with, you know, pursuing a, a variance. Um, approval of the variance wouldn't get the structure built. It would still need a permit and it may have to come down. So the, the request in September was to allow time for the applicant to work with construction review, figure out what is needed to either receive a permit for the existing conditions or figure out how to build the structure if they wanted it built back similar, how to build it back similar and receive a permit for it so that an issue um, of safety does not, um, you know, there's not an adverse impact. There's not a risk to the public if they are in that easement or, you know, an adjacent property owner is nearby. So the, the change in grade, um, you may not be able to answer this, uh, staff, could that have contributed to drainage issues on the neighbor's property? It, it's unclear, but when you change grade, you need to consider drainage, which involves MSD. Can we go back to the photographs of the, of the outside of the fence and see the back real quick where the MSD easement is? Okay, so can you zoom in on the right-hand picture, please? On the right picture, that looks like the back of her fence to the right. It looks like it continues on. The easement is in the middle, so it looks like chain link is the back. Yeah, you can see on the adjacent properties without the grade being changed, they fall away into the easements. Right. Um, yeah, so you can see that the original grade is somewhere around here. Hey, can you zoom in on that retaining wall for just a second? Just zoom in, just let's see the construction of it. Is that poured concrete below and then a roll up block on top? That's what it looks like. Yeah. So on the inside, on the inside, the the dirt is down about the height of the retaining wall itself, and then somebody's blocked up a little bit more when you look at it from the inside. The dirt grade. On the oh, in oh sorry, I'm sorry, I'm just talking to myself. 
Yeah. Go to the inside of there. You know, you see to the see right there, you see how the, the, the retaining wall, the dirt's below that. So and I believe this image, I believe this image on the left is a new photo, correct, Amy? So since we were here last, it appears that additional fill has been added. It's more dirt been put in. It's more fill been yes. since there. So the whole intent was just to have a level backyard. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And it looks like to me, and I'm no expert on this, but I don't think there's the MSD in the back, the drainage swale, that's what the MSD easement's for is intact. And all they've done is put a wall back there to, to level up the yard. The concept's fine. Now, whether this wall footering stuff with the code becomes a big issue, I don't know. But if you look all the metal we talked, and, and Lou had pointed out it was, four, or, yeah, it was 14 inches too high. There's probably 14 inches above the top of the of the structure. You see what I'm saying? They could just cut that metal off and be right in compliance. So the eight foot, they wouldn't even need a variance if they did that. Do what? Uh, cut down. Well, let me let me. I'm kind of let me ask staff. Is that am I correct? Well, it it depends on where you measure it from. I, I mean, each side of the fence is going to be a different height because of how they changed the grade on one side of it. But if oh, you're saying cool. if they measured it. From the base of that foundation and up to that's eight foot, it's okay. But if you're saying from the top of the, you know, the cement to the, the eight feet begins at the ground. So I just want to make sure we're talking about the same point. I like of measurement. that. So where did you measure from, Amy, when you all were out there? Did you measure from the dirt down there or the top of the retaining wall? We measured from the dirt, and okay. that where you see the blue arrow is the. 110 inches that I referenced and Joe is correct. There are different measurements along that fence. But that's the tallest one. Yes. So, and on the left corner, it was 99 inches. And so there it's different heights. We took the highest measurement. Left corner looking from the back of the fence, but from the property, when you walk up to it, that is the back left corner. When you walk up to this the is front. The, well, I refer to this as the yeah, back right okay. corner. Yeah. As I was looking at the fence. So Sorry. Joe, if I understand it correctly, the if that's 110 inches or whatever it was, and it, you see all the metal sticking up above the the top uh, stringer, see where Joel's pointing to that two by four, or that two by six, or whatever. All that metal was just cut off to the top of that. They would be in compliance. Am I right? Assuming that's 14 inches. I think you're right. Possibly. Assuming I'm possibly right, then they wouldn't need a variance for that if they just went and did it and they'd be in compliance. Yeah, so fences fences are going to be measured at the outside from grade. So if they can get it in compliance from the outside at grade under eight feet, they do not need a variance. It doesn't change the fact that they need a permit, but that's not necessarily the board's purview. Right. I mean, we do have a separate matter of the side yard setback. Right. For for the deck. Um so here is the sides, the encroachment of the deck. Um, so you've got, I, I think we remain to have building permit issues, but as far as the board's review of the setback, the side setback is related to the deck at this location and stops where the fence begins because that's no longer the deck or the primary structure. So Joel, is the code enforcement issue based on the fence or, or does it have anything to do with the deck? 
mean, well, I there's, just, um, I'm just, I don't even know if I can paraphrase all the enforcement issues that are on oh. file um, because some of them aren't necessarily applicable here um, because there's been some issues over heavy trucks and defense and the deck, but the ones that are before us today, yes, we have an issue where an existing deck was, I guess, enclosed and is now in a uh, setback, and then we have defense height issue. So those are kind of separate issues. But, but enforcement issues, yeah. But they both, yeah, would have to be remedied for us to close the case. And the, the finished side of the fence is on the interior of the yard. Yes. Correct. Which it appears so. Okay, members. Gushin. There was a, another photograph of the um, where water was coming through the foundation onto the grass of the neighbor. Um, and I wasn't, I was never quite sure. I guess maybe it's along that side there somewhere. On the, on the on the right hand photograph, is that where it was? Yeah, the photographs on the uh, the screen right now are from the adjacent property owner. If you're looking at the front of the home to the left, okay. rear of the home to the right, is that foundation all poured concrete, or is that poured concrete in some block? Like block? Do you know if that's concrete block, or is that a poured concrete formed foundation? Which one? Which one? The bottom or the bottom? Yeah, the concrete. Is that block or is that? Eso es un ladrillo. Concrete. Concrete. It's a formed concrete. Oh, it looks like they poured it in two levels. They poured it one level. Is is bloque? Son bloques? Ladrillos? No. No. Uh, uh, es uh, uh, concrete. Es concreto. Uh, so, okay. Es, es solid, solid concrete. Yeah. That part. Okay. There you go. Pero solid no concrete. Necesitaría hacer que del piso a la cerca del lado. The part of the where like the neighbors would that also have to be seven feet? The fence. Eight feet. Eight feet is the mark from the ground, including the retaining wall, correct? Well, the other the other point is, did you all put the deck on? Did you build the deck and the roof over it? Yes. Okay. So it appears to me you're 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 really close to the property line. You're not three feet. I guess the building departments told you that that has to be non-combustible material does that make any sense uh, yeah is there a plan is there a plan to fix that or cut it back to take it back the plan would be to cut it back okay yeah. so once you get a survey and you know how far to cut it back you're willing to do it they can get a survey in two weeks mm -hmm. yes with a plan how you're going to fix it with the surveyor uh yeah have you all contacted a surveyor yet 
No, I, I was just informed about it today. Okay. From what I've heard, um, in Two terms of surveyor availability, um, that's quite ambitious. It's possible. Um, I just, from what I've heard, it's going to take longer than that. For Thanksgiving? That's possible, but I wouldn't give two weeks. I would at least give a month if you're feeling you need a survey. So to keep their ball rolling, they could they could go cut the fence down to eight feet, go down and apply for a permit for the fence. At that point, there could they would be either they would be illegal if they could get a permit just for the fence. Notwithstanding, uh, kind of do them in two separate phases because it's going to take a little while to get the the survey. Just trying to move it along. And the eight feet would have to be measured from ground. Yeah. Ground. Where to cut the fence down, I think you all understand this, but just to be clear, it just kind of disappears from your docket because they could then withdraw the request. It it would resolve the zoning enforcement action, maybe not building enforcement. It would resolve the need for a variance. So we wouldn't even bring that back to you if that were something they pursue. We still have the separate issue of the side yard setback, which you can act on today or defer okay. to. Um, but that's how we would handle it. So if you were to continue it into the future and they resolve it, you'll never see it again because we would just remove Thank it from the docket. Partial problem yeah. solving. Yeah. I'm sorry. Didn't what did you say, Mr. Horton? Fix the fence and then come back. Partial, partial problem solving. Fix the fence. And Joel and I just noted, just so that you're aware, you could also deny it, and that still remains an option to them. So if you're not comfortable with that height of a fence, there's like, like I was mentioning earlier, it doesn't make a lot of sense to continue it. They can have a fence. That's not the issue here. The issue is the height of the fence. So if you're not comfortable with that height, and you feel it should be what's permitted by code, then you could also deny it. And then basically you're requiring them. to cut it down to eight feet. That's an excellent point. Yes. That's yes. what they're proposing, right? And then how would we deal with the side yard variance, Joe, today? Our Joe. Yard. You all could, in essence, do the same. Yeah. A denial I forces compliance with the building code. I'm on. I'm giving that. Okay, is that clear to everyone? Because they said they were going to cut their deck back anyway, mm -hmm. so they'll be illegal. They're going to cut. Their deck. Right. Are, yeah. do Madam, we, oh well. Are there any other questions for Ms. Nolasco? No, don't believe so. Um, just basically, she was just wanting to state that the fence was built because of how it's open in the back where the MSD is um, and she has kids so that people would walk back there and stuff. That's why it was built. But she'll cut it down for eight to eight feet. Thank you. All right, I don't have any, thank you very much. I don't have any other speaker cards for this case. So I'll close the public hearing. You can take your seats if you'd like, thank you. And we'll move into deliberations. I just have a question. So. So that everyone understands. Um, so, if the side yard variance is denied, what does that mean? Have Full compliance with the building code and zoning. So they would have to comply with the side yard setback. So it would have to be six feet. That's correct. 
So bringing the fence in six feet? No, it's side yard setback is related to the deck, which is attached deck. to the principal yes. structure. So it's subject to the same requirements as a principal structure. So there are there are um, as as Amy noted, um, the fact that it's enclosed creates a wall that's zero feet from the property line, and it does not appear that the current material that it's constructed out of could receive a building permit. Uh, the same with the fence at the rear. Um, there's uncertainty about compliance. Denial of the variances does not deny the applicant the right to have a fence or the right to have a deck. It just changes where they have the right to do it, which would be in compliance with the zoning code. And the fence height. Correct. Just one more little thing. So they they could apply the three foot is a code issue because of the fire rated material. Okay. So they could reduce that variance to three feet, which would let them keep a little more of the deck. That's correct. And then still, it, I'm just trying to help them out. Does anybody else see what I'm saying? Lulu, uh -huh. come get, come rescue me, baby. I, I see what you're saying. I, I, I'm just listening and taking. Well, I'm it just saying way. that you know. Um, well, they're already prepared, aren't they? Cut. To yeah, cut it back. But, but well, if we yeah, not, they've got to cut it back they got five to cut, feet. They've got to cut the deck we back as well variance. as the fence. If we give them a three foot variance, then they cut it back to there, then they would be they could also be building code compliant. Mm -hmm. Which is going to be the big thing. Maybe they don't want to do this. Well. Are we in are we in We are in deliberation. Okay. Yes. I personally think that if we denied it, they just they would just have to come into building code requirements because they got to either way they've got to tear. Well, I don't want to say tear. Either way, they've got to lower the fence height, and they've got to remove some of that deck. So you know whether we approve or deny, they got to go. And the enforcement issue. enforcement issue, yeah, right. So if we deny, they've got to come into compliance. Period. That's just I agree. me. I agree. I, I see the point. All right. And they may have to get the uh, the uh, minor plat. I mean, the survey or whatever for code enforcement anyway. They, we don't know what they what code enforcement is going to say. I mean, they've created this problem, and it's going to have to be resolved. And I don't know that approving the variances or whatever is going to solve it. And plus the fact the fence is on the wrong, I mean, the exterior is in the wrong it place. Is. It is. So they've got to move it anyway, change it around. But I'm, that's just my opinion. I'm a one person vote. All right. Is there. Is anybody ready to make a motion based on the discussion? Or do you think additional discussion is required? I'll also note again, I think I, you know this, but if you're, you can break apart these variances if you wanted to. Normally, I know we hear them together. Um, In this case, if I you was... don't feel like you want to vote for both variances or deny both variances. That's an option that whoever makes the motion could consider. 
Thank you. Did everybody hear that? The variances can be taken separately if there's a need, if one would be approved possibly and the other not approved. Okay, ready for a motion? What's the proposal what, um, on the second variance? I think, I think the first one, they're going to remedy and we're going to deny it, but they're going to remedy it they'll by have to cutting cut the it the down. Like Joel said, we'll never see it again. Right. And then, but they'll have to deal with permits and whatnot. Yes. So, but they're remedying in, in a way. But the second one, what is, what are y'all pro proposing on that? Well, I, you know, I, I would propose that we grant them a three foot variance, which uh, would let them have it right up to where the building code is going to require that it change. If they want to take that now, the question I have for staff is, can you limit the, 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 that to just the deck so they can't make their house 3 foot wide or 2. You see what I'm saying here? Yes, I mean, you could, but with all these changes, I would suggest that you ask them if they're okay with these changes, because they have a right to a denial because they have a right to further appeal. So, I mean, if you want to give a 3 foot variance, as opposed to the. The six or five or so, you know, and then you wanted to limit what could happen within that space. Um, that's a potential compromise. Just I'll, I'll let Yanni ask him. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't know. This is somewhat confusing. But when I look at this picture, picture of the deck from the neighbor's yard. So picture. So if they were to take the roofing material off of there, that put them in compliance or is that, are they still out of compliance? Just on the deck part. Yanni, everything within three feet of the property line, including I mean, the overhang has to be non-combustible material. Cement fiber, concrete block, something similar to that. Nothing can be combustible. The deck itself no penetrations nor opening no openings and, and that's building code that's so a building code right. thing. okay i mean our our rules will be whatever you agree to today um so if you give them a variance it'll be whatever that is it's just i think what rick's concerned and rightfully is why give them a variance for something they can't do anyway and right make sure that it can meet their code because i don't think there's relief to their code right now there might be Things they could do to cover the combustible materials. So it's not, um, I don't know what those are, but who knows. Well, I do think Joe, that brings up a great point though. They could say, well, we want to keep this five foot variance and we're going to go in and work with the code to make it non-combustible, which would mean they would have to skin that entire side with something non-combustible. So asking them probably is a good. Metal studs would have to be the code studs and yeah. party board. And if you give a variance for that, I would keep in mind we have no idea what that would look like, which would give me concerns because I have a feeling um, some of you might be concerned with giving kind of a blank check over what it could look like. I got it. Or even if that's that's possible, I got it. Let's deny the fence right now because that's what the main code issue is. Right. And then they're going to, they know what they need to do. And then on variance two, can we continue just that one? 
Can I give you another option? Please do. <laughs> They could request another variance should they comply with building code with another alternative for that deck, and the board could waive their time frame for re-approval. Um, so I think you're fully covered should you move in the direction of denial of both variances. Should they want to cut that back and be three feet and comply with building code, there is the ability to request a variance, and they could do that should the board grant them um a waiver of the the time frame in between applications so just as another alternative option they would have to come back to the board they would but it would resolve both issues of of zoning as far as taking final action amy you good with that explain to him you good okay madam chairman Yes. I'd like to make a motion. Please proceed. Regarding case 23, variance 0063, I make a motion that we deny the two variances in front of us today. The basis on the staff report, the staff analysis, lengthy discussion and testimony. That's it. Second. Lula. It's been moved and seconded to deny the variance uh, from Land Development Code 44381AII to allow the fence to exceed eight feet in height. Uh, and the variance to allow the principal structure to encroach into the side yard setback. We're ready for a vote. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Budorf? Yes. Bozos? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bond? Yes. Both variances have been denied. Uh, Amy, you'll work with the, uh, the applicants on the requirements and the next steps. Okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. Okay, we have um, one additional variance, 23 variance, 0133 Preston Street variance. Molly, uh, have you been sworn in? I was, I was just hidden behind Brian. All right. Yeah, all right. Too short. Name and address, please. <laughs> uh, Molly Clark, PDS staff, 444 South 5th Street. I'll just wait for my presentation. All right. Uh, go to the next slide. So we're looking at a variance to allow a new second story addition to encroach in both side yards on the property. Uh, next slide. The site is zoned OR2 in the traditional neighborhood. It was It's previously a single family home. The applicant is proposing a second story uh, addition and converting that single family home into a fourplex. Now with it being zoned OR2, that density allows for that. Um, so, like I said, this is going to encroach into the northern and southern property lines on the site. Um, if you looked at the materials for the hearing, we got signatures from everyone except for the property to the south. I met with the property owners last week who own that property to the south, uh, and they were kind of confused on what was being proposed. I brought the file out. We talked. I gave them the owner's info. They met with the owner and looked at the property and are more comfortable with what's being proposed. And I gave you all a copy of an email from that lady that owns the property as well. Uh, next slide. 
So here's the zoning OR2 and traditional neighborhood. Next slide. Here's the property. Uh, next slide. Uh, these, this is the location of those side yard variances they're requesting. Next slide. This is just showing how they're converting into uh, four units, their proposed floor plan. Next slide. So it has been constructed. I didn't know that until after I wrote the staff report. <laughs> um, but this is essentially what it's going to look like. <laughs> uh, next slide. Great artist rendering. <laughs> so real. Details unbelievable. <laughs> You can go to the next slide. Okay. Um, so again, we're looking down Preston. Um, you can see that existing two-story structure, and you see in the immediate block there are other similar two-story structures as well. Uh, next slide. So um, with us getting signatures from all the neighbors and that email of support. Uh, staff felt that the side yard variances being requested um, are adequately justified. Uh, next slide. So required actions today are to approve or deny the variance to allow that second story addition to encroach into the side yard setbacks. Do you all have any questions at all? Questions? None at this time. Thank you, Molly. I do want to note that we did get the email from Ms. Cresso, so thanks for working with her. I don't have any other speaker cards for this case. We'll close the public hearing and move into deliberations. On the variance to allow the second story to encroach into the, the side yard setback. Any discussion? I did appreciate the the, uh, the language in this staff report that indicated that had that second story been smaller than the original footprint, it would have been inside the load-bearing walls. So that would have caused a problem. Any yeah. other discussion? Oh. Ready for Madam I'm ready. Yeah. Please proceed. Hey, regarding uh, case number 23-variance-0133, um, project is located at 1343 South Preston. Uh, got a request for a variance uh, from the Land Development Code, Section 5.2.3.2, to allow a second story to encroach into the required 2.7 foot setback and I make the motion that we approve uh, the variance based on the staff report and the testimony of uh, today. Is there a second? Second, Bozos. Been moved and seconded to Properly moved and seconded to approve 23 variance 0133. We're ready for a vote. Gordon? Yes. Ford? Yes. Butterworth? Yes. Bozos? Yes. Howard? 
Yes. Bond. Yes. The variance has been approved. Thank you. Joel is going to present the next case. Um, can we take a break? He had to step out first. Yes. Yes, we can take a sure. 10 minute break. Oh, this is a yeah. nice person. Yeah, we be. Okay. Yep. Oh. All right. We're ready to resume. Um, Joel, you're next up 23 nonconform 0024. All right, good afternoon, Joel Dock, Planning, uh, Office of Planning, 444 South 5th Street, Louisville, Kentucky, 40202. This is 23 Nonconform 0024 at 1910 Lower Hunters Trace. This is a, a request um, of a review of nonconforming rights for a landscape contractor shop in the R4 single family residential zoning district. Um, here's a site map uh, showing where the property is with the red star. Um, it's west of Dixie Highway at the intersection of Lower Hunters Trace and uh, Disler Lane. Um, it is in the neighborhood form district and R4 single family residential. Here's an area of the subject pro property. You can see the extent to which a non-residential uh, use is present on the rear of the property. Uh, just some technical review items. Uh, Nonconformity is an activity or building structure or portion thereof which lawfully existed before the adoption or amendment of the zoning regulation and does not currently conform. In this case, that is the non-residential use that exists within a single-family residential zoning district. To establish non-conforming rights in what was the unincorporated territory of Jefferson County, those rights need to be uh, established, meaning that the use needs to be established as existing on the property and continuously existing on the property since 1943. Uh, so uh, just to uh, state why this is here as a non-conforming case and not an appeal of non-conforming rights as they were previously, uh, Board Bo Policy 5.18.02 uh, states that where there is insufficient evidence for staff to establish non-conforming rights, uh, the case is brought before the Board of Zoning Adjustment, where the burden is on the applicant to provide documentation supporting the establishment of nonconforming use and its continuous existence. This is not a rezoning. This is not a matter of whether or not the use is appropriate. It is a matter of whether or not evidence is provided to the board uh, that clearly provides documentation that the use that's being requested or a non-residential use has existed on that property since 1943. So the applicant uh, submitted uh, several pieces of evidence. Um, in 1973, an individual named Lester Fields purchased the property um, and began to operate a, an auto shop. In 88, the owner purchased, the current owner purchased the property. Um, in 89, there was a notice of judgment lien, kind of just reiterating the fact that it was a body shop uh, uh, Joanne Collins family subleased the rear of the lot for agriculture. Um, it is important to note that agriculture is a permitted use in a residential zone, so agricultural use doesn't establish a non-conforming non-residential use. Uh, signed affidavits attesting to continuous use for 26 years and 34 years, respectively, places the non-conformance or non-residential use of this property to 1984. 
Again, staff uh, staff feels that the the uh, nonconforming rights, as far as the evidence shows, places it back to 1973. So where there is inconclusive um, evidence is a 1946 aerial that shows an outbuilding where the use may have begun. Uh, this case was scheduled before the Board of Zoning Adjustment to allow time for the applicant to provide evidence or documentation indicating that uh, in 1943, in these uh, aerial imagery, imagery in this these outbuildings, a non-residential use exists. Aerials show a continuous expansion of buildings on the property to present. So while the board could ultimately find, if documentation is provided, that a non-residential use existed in those outbuildings, evidence does not support non-conforming use in its continuous state of expansion from 1943 to the present. So those non-conforming rights would need to be significantly constrained to only a specific area on the property if documentation is provided. Here's the aerial that I was referencing. Uh, the one on the left is uh, 1946. You can see the main residence. This was one of the uh, first on uh, in the in the area, or at least there was a limited amount in the area. And you can see those accessory buildings and those outbuildings. There are two outbuildings, which is why staff was led to believe that maybe they, those weren't of a residential nature, but no documentation was provided establishing those as a non-residential use or an auto body or garage prior to 1973 where staff feels comfortable that the use may have started. The image on the right shows uh, the existing um, condition. So as I stated, should the board find that non-conforming rights existed within these outbuildings in 1943, um, that does not provide for the establishment of continuous use on the remainder of the property since uh, 1943. So I think it's clear from the testimony that I provided that staff finds there's inconclusive evidence to establish nonconforming rights. And because staff determined that evidence was inconclusive, the burden is on the applicant to provide documentation and support the establishment of the nonconforming use and its continuous existence. This is not a change in zoning. Uh, this is not about whether or not the use is appropriate, but whether or not the evidence supports non-conforming rights on this property. Your actions today are approval or denial of, of non-conforming rights. Are there any questions for staff? Uh, oh, Madam Chair. Oh, oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, please. Joel, <clears throat> I remember in prior years, a non-conforming use could not have expanded beyond its scope of originally like 1943. Is that still? That's accurate. That's why this was brought before the board, because again, if there was any evidence or documentation in 1943 that states that those outbuildings could have been non-residentially used, the board could grant non-conforming rights to a limited area, but not the remainder as it's continually expanded over the decades. Thank you. Welcome. If it helps, um, what the Kentucky Revised Statute says is, the Board of Adjustment shall not allow the enlargement or extension of a non-conforming use beyond the scope and area of its operation at the time the regulation which makes its use non-conforming was adopted. And then what you all are used to seeing is the second part, which says, nor shall the Board permit a change from one non-conforming use to another unless the new non-conforming use is in the same or more restrictive classification. So we have some of those come back for that, but it's not to expand the area, it's to change the use to something equal or less intrusive. But 
Yeah, the, the focus is on what what was there in 1943, and then how did that move forward that area? Okay, thank you. I have a speaker card for Chris Kelty. Good afternoon, Mr. Kelty. Good afternoon to you all. You raise your right hand. I'll swear you in. Do you swear the testimony you're about to give today is the truth? Yes, I do. Name and address, please. My name is Christopher E. Kelty. I live at 1910 Lower Hunters Trace, Louisville, Kentucky, 40216. Thank you. Please proceed. Um, I guess the first thing is, is, do you all have any questions for me? Okay. I've been there for well over three decades. I've owned Landmark Law Incorporated for 40 years now. Um, I have people that have written in testimony that I've been a big help to the community, to the work I do, and how I operate the company. The company does not sell or distribute goods to anyone. No one comes to the property to buy products from me, landscape supplies, or anything. I am simply a finished grade landscape company that leaves the property at 8.30 in the morning, arrives back at 435, parks the vehicles, and leaves. I live on the property myself. The vehicles are my vehicles. They're in my name. I lease them to Landmark Lawn. I'm simply parking my vehicles under roof to keep them out of the weather, to keep them basically out of visibility, out of people's harm. I've had friends and family show up at my house for get-togethers, parties, cookouts, and they're like, I thought you ran things, something out of here. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And they're like, well, where is it? No one driving by my property at 1910 Lower Hunters Trace knows there's anything behind it, knows there's anything going on there. We are uh, in and leave and a come back in a park company is all we are. And I mainly want my vehicles there because there's been a lot of theft from catalytic converters, as you know. Every one of those vehicles has a $5,000 catalytic converter. Mac Landscaping on Dixie Highway is a good friend of mine. I've talked to him multiple times. He said, we have lost every catalytic converter on my truck twice so far. He has German Shepherds in the lots guarding his trucks. That's one of my concern of off-site parking. Number two, I do a lot of community service. I take care of ball fields. I take care of uh, landscaping for elderly. I mean, we primarily go to new construction sites or say Harbor House is a good example, Maria Smith. We take care of their stuff. We do a lot of donation work. Um, you know, I've been doing it for a lot of years. This is my livelihood. I pay a lot of money back into the community, over three quarters of a million dollars to be exact, in taxes, insurance, um, car repairs, truck repairs. I buy from Caterpillar down on Cecil Avenue. I've paid over $4 million to them. So basically, I'm 57 years old. This is where I live. This is where I work. If I get removed from there and don't get the non-conforming use, which this has been a truck farm, it has been, I went back and found the people that owned this from the original owners. I found, I got a testimony that we sent in from a lady. We had it notarized. She stated that it was a truck farm, that it was vegetables and fruits and was always farmed. 
I own the property to the left of me and I own the property behind me. So I have no neighbors. I don't have any backup alarms on my vehicles or on my equipment. I have not had a complaint since I've been there in 34 years. And I keep my operation very clean and I also keep my house extremely neat. If you go down that street, you take an aerial view from the front, which I think we have given pictures of the front of the house and pictures around us. Do you have those to show them? Any site photos are in your all's uh, public meeting material provided uh, prior to the public hearing. So, Mr. Kelty, the, the outbuildings, you use those? Yes, they're basically carports. They're, oh, those are the carports. Yes, they're, they're, they're just three-sided sheds. They don't have a door shut down. I keep everything under roof. Okay. everything out of sight under roof my fence is all screened all the way around i've landscaped my entire property my whole front of my house has been re-landscaped I, I have put capital improvements in that property of probably better than a quarter of a million dollars since i've been there for 34 years when we bought that house it was truly a falling down shambles we rebuilt those outbuildings re-cleaned them up repainted them I've subsequently bought the house to the left of me, which there's pictures in there. If I can approach, I'll show you picture, a couple pictures I have. If y'all don't have them, I don't know. What you see in my if you can describe them on a microphone so it gets picked up in the recording. I'm sorry. This is the side of my house. You'll see my porch. You'll see just two of my personal cars parked there. There's no evidence of any construction vehicles or anything else. This is my backyard. It's been totally redone. This is the side fence coming down the street. We have screened it off. The buildings face the street. That building has been there for almost 50 years. I have my property fenced off with standard fencing. <coughs> These are just some of the cross the street properties. Showing their care of their property. In, in lieu of my property is what I'm trying to say. This is the house that I just bought next to my property. I am totally renovating that whole house. You can see how decrepit it was. I'm putting all new windows, all new siding, all new roof, all new drywall, electric, HVAC. I mean, I am spending a bunch of money in the South End. I went to St. Lawrence grade school. I went to Bishop David to high school. And my mother still lives on Rockford Lane where I grew up. I've been in the South End my whole life. I currently exhume bodies for the police department. So if you lose a loved one and they're, they think they're in Iroquois Park, I'm not, they don't know this, but I'm the one they call. So if your daughter or son was missing and they thought they were in Iroquois, I'm the guy that goes. If, if you're not explaining the photos though, okay. I mean, yeah. we're a little bit. I'm sorry, there's, there's another two photos of the house that I have. There's. Here we clean. 
And these are just houses around me just to show you what my house is in lieu of where I live. So what do you plan to do with what do you plan to do with the house you're renovating next? I'm probably just going to rent it to family. I'm not a I'm not. OK, I think it would you back it to OU. It's just so it's on video. Yeah, so it's on the okay, I understand. So the house next door to me, as I renovate it, I will either rent it to my employees so they can just walk to work. I only have five employees, and most of them are college kids, uh, and they go away to school, some to Western Kentucky or whatever. My son and my daughter are here with me. They both work for me and live with me. So it's it's a generational business. I'm just trying to groom it to pass it down. I mean, if I can't get this continuing use permit, at this point, I'm going to sell and move out of the county. And who would buy the houses? We don't know what conditions they would be in, what money would get put back in the community. I don't know. Madam Chairman, can I ask a question? Yes. Now? Thank you very much. Uh, Chris, what is and why are we here? How do we get here? Was there an enforcement issue? Well, yes. And can you read the complaint that you received at your office that brought me to this point? I don't want to misquote. I mean, you want the complaint that was filed that led to the enforcement? Yes, that's correct. I looked at it previously. I'll read this, but I think I know why he wants me to read it. But at the end of the day, I will say after a complaint's filed, regardless, it's independently investigated, and that's what led to the enforcement. But it was an anonymous complaint and says, I have been riding by this place and noticed that someone is running a business out of it. I was checking to see if they are zoned for this per codes. Can you please forward the attached complaint to zoning? So it is rather generic um, and it doesn't sound to be an adjacent neighbor, but just explaining how enforcement works. I mean, we get complaints of all, you know, different types of detail, but that's the complaint. There might be another one, but I don't see it in the system. Was that another one that you wanted or was that? No, I, that's what I'm, that's what led to this. I'm just trying to explain why I'm standing in front of you. To me, it was generic. It, and I have gone to every single one of my neighbors within a mile of my house. And every one of them said, we'd be happy to write in for you. We love you being here, Chris. I've done nothing but help my neighbors out, do what they need me to do, and assist anyone that I can. That's why Maria from Harbor House owns two houses down the street. I helped her clean all those up, re-landscape them, donated a massive amount of time. I take care of football fields, baseball fields for Holy Cross, St. Lawrence. I take care of them from, for the county and the city. They call me in when they need a baseball field regraded or redone, and I come in and I donate a lot of time to the city and the county. Chris, let me ask you another question. If we were the Planning and Zoning Board, that, that would all be very helpful. But I understand. You know what we're up against now is some documentation of how far back. How long have you owned the property? I've owned the property since 1988. Okay, and you've operated this business since 1988. Yes, that's why I bought it. Right. And this is the first time you've had a complaint? Yes, sir. And from your research, it looked like you got back to 1973. Is that right? Did well, I got back farther because I went back to the Junos that originally owned. I actually spoke to one of them. She's like 82 years old, 
and I think we sent in an affidavit from her because we signed it, but it was her aunt and uncle's truck farm that was there. They sold fruits and vegetables out of that, which I'm an agricultural Yeah, I was going to say to me, it's, I don't know how the zoning looks at it, but this is pretty agricultural to me. Yeah, I'm still agriculturally based. I agree the car repair guy was not agricultural based, but I am. I'm, you know, so, but yes, they sold fruits and vegetables out there and they owned that for years. And did she have any idea when, how far back that went? That went to, that went, they bought the house. I got their deed from 1945. Yeah. 1945 is pretty close to 43. But and that's agricultural use is allowed. If, if it meets the state law that defines agricultural, it would generally be exempt, but there are some tie-ins to the size of the property. And just because there's an agricultural use um, doesn't mean everything's exempt. You can look at individual things like his the car storage, if it's not directly tied to the agricultural use, may not be exempt. So it gets a little bit more murky. I don't know how big it is in terms of the property, um, but it's that would be exempt from local zoning, any agricultural. Um, and things like a market, which may or may not be agricultural, we have a different new use that that could fall under too, that's generally allowed in his zoning to have like, you know, a farmer's market or something like that. But again, that will be the details. But the landscaping isn't necessarily agricultural or not. I, it may or may not be. Yeah. And one more quick question. So the lady with the farm, the truck farm thing, is that who you all bought it from? No, I bought it from Lester Fields, who had the automotive business. Yeah, the automotive. Time. Yes. And did he buy it from the truck farm? Yes, he did. So there's been three basic owners since yeah. 1945. Yes, and there's the Juno's deed right here okay. that, that had it. So we have those people, then we have the car repair, and now we got Me. A, a subset of the agricultural field. Okay. Question here, too, please. Um, yes, sir. Have those two buildings always been on that property? Because we had some aerial pictures here that we could look at, and it's been one piece of property with two buildings and now two addresses. What were the homes or what? The Junos, when they owned it, they had their, a truck farm went all the way back almost 15, 18 acres. And they had several like greenhouses, outhouse buildings that were there that over the years deteriorated and got tore down there was still two open-faced barns that were there that they put vegetables and fruits and stuff in that we refurbished and redid. And I've subsequently put two more um, carports, just a standard carport beside those to park vehicles under to keep stuff out of the weather. All of my, the car, the garage there is actually 10 cars. It's almost 5,400 square feet. And it was that when I bought it. Well, are there two residences there now? There's no, two, there is two not. different yeah. addresses, 10,008, 10,010. Yes. Well, I own both lots. There's a, my, that lot beside my shop. If you look where I showed you the picture of my side porch, that is another lot. So I own 1906, I mean, 1910 and 1908. And now I own 1906. So there are actually two lots there. Yes. The two lots that came because they farmed all of that. Yes. When they, when they subdivided that to build the 1906 house, that was still the Juno's lot. They, they could have put another house, I guess, in that skinny strip, but they didn't because the Juno's didn't want to give that up with the other part of the farm. So they farmed it, and do you know if they 
actually oper operated the business out of that, sold to customers yes. from that? They had a actual, it was, it was a combination farm. I found out through several people I've spoke to and gone to look up. It was a chicken farm because I had all the chicken coop stuff. It was kind of a mess, but they had had grading and wiring everywhere and they had chicken coops. She actually raised chihuahuas and sold them. And then they had every rest of it was farmed. But everyone I spoke to said they were the they were German, and they said they were both orphans, and they were the neatest people they'd ever seen. And that they, was year approximately. Yeah, that year. was that was forty five, nineteen forty five, up till the seventies. Uh, Chris, we got a we got a note from someone. The guy says he lives behind you, directly, uh, Mr. Holman. Holman, yeah, Andrew. And so, as I was looking at this, it looked like there was a, a, a street or, or an out. Is, does he have to drive by your place to get to his house? That is my house. I own that property. So he he, he lives back there. He rents from there. He rents from you. Yes. So that might be the two addresses. No, the two addresses, he's correct. My house is 1910. If you pull up that, can you pull the aerial view back up of the property, The just the, the map? So are there two residences on one lot? That's correct. Okay. Two two lots on one lot, but one only one's a resident. No, the the one that has all the little square diagrams. Other one, keep going. That right there. See that where my star is. So if there's some discussion, we want to make sure that. Sorry. <clears throat> so where the star is, you look at the size of the lots going away from me. You see how they're all, mine's double their, their width. I own two lots. This one's not developed. I see. So, and I own now the one to the right of me and the one right behind me. So everything. The one right where the hand is, is that where Mr. Pullman lives? One right there. He lives, Mr. Pullman lives there, yes. And to get to, to that, he it drives. comes down Dissler. Dissler, which is between you and the house that you showed us you're remodeling on the other side. No, I own the house to the right of me. Okay. So you own that one down there. Then you go back up to the star and you go to the right. I own that one. Okay. So that is 1906, where the star is, okay. just the outer points of it would be 1908. And then my house going toward Dissler Road would be 1910. I got it. So I own that basically that whole city block. And the other side is owned by who? The other side is owned by Mr. Shrout. It's all farmland. They used to have cattle on there. Every problem with your operation? No, sir. I help him out a bunch with his property. I cut it. I take care of it. I've helped him with his sewer problems, digging them up. Okay, so we got to get back to this time frame. So once again, what you think, and, and Joel, you'll have to correct us on this, is if buildings have been demolished and added to, but it's been used in a non-conforming right, would that still work? I mean, what, what I'm saying is, is if, if the chicken coop people had one thing and then the guy that took it over did a similar business, but change from chickens to something else and build something that works for him, does that negate the existing continuous use issue? Chicken coops are an agricultural use. Raising I was animals using that as an is example. an agricultural oh, use. If it change, if, if, because we've heard something about buildings, we can see buildings and we don't see buildings and we see buildings again. How does that affect it? You remove a, if you voluntarily remove a structure, that housed a non-conforming use, it could not be replaced. If you involuntarily remove a structure because of fire, wind, water, you can replace it. Okay. Typically, that's dealing with structures only, 
the use would then, so if you have a building and a non-residential use exists within that building and that building burns down, you have a year to reestablish that, which would essentially allow you to reestablish that non-conforming use. Um, but the question that you're asking is about agricultural products and uses. Those, you know, in staff's opinion, don't assert a non-residential use continuously existing on a property. Chris, do we have one of those pictures of the aerial that you, that was uh, sent to us? And I'll just, while he's gearing up, I just want to add to what Joel said. What complicates things with this site is there's a mix of conforming and non-conforming uses. So while he can't remove a, non a structure that's intended for the non-conforming use and rebuild it for the non-conforming use again, he could rebuild a structure for a conforming use. So we've had some shifting things of agricultural. It sounds like he's got his residence on there. I mean, he's generally allowed to build structures for those things that would be okay. It's so it's a little bit more complicated if that. Yeah, it is. But I, I don't, I mean, we'd have to look at each structure independently if you're having questions about certain structures. But also, I think we have to look in terms of the land uses that have occurred on the site that have not allowed it to continue to be a non-conforming right. And the contractor shop and the person who wrote this letter in support thinks this is a rezoning case and this is not a rezoning hearing. So, because the contract uh, con landscaping contractor shop should be in a C2 or M2 zone. Uh, P E P E. Oh, I can't even think of the other one. That's uh, oh, like in J ten, huh? Planned something development for a, a, a non non residential uses. My mind's not working, but this landscaping contractor shop has not been there since nineteen forty three. There has been an expansion of the site. So I've I, I'm been listening to all this stuff about the agriculture use that has nothing to do with what's before us because everything has changed since 1943, even since 1945. That's what I was kind of referring to about the aerials. I, I think I recall seeing you had a couple aerials that we looked at on our computers at home. And it seems like I recall one of them being stuff. different than what's there now. So I don't know when it occurred, but it seemed like there's a change in maybe square foot areas. And I think that's what Ms. Lou is talking about. Oh, sir, I'm sorry. May I ask some questions, Madam Chair? I heard you say you have trucks on the property. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Do you have landscaping materials on the property? No, ma'am. You don't have any. Okay. So, like, you're you're you got a truck storage lot for landscaping, I guess. I mean, the only landscape materials I have are just waiting for a job. So we might buy something that night, take it off, water it, you know, out back, and then the next morning we reload it and take it and plant it. So you know, we mostly deal with contractors like Ken Thieneman, Dave Richardson, people like that, and we do their landscape and finish grade for new construction. So yes, sometimes I have to buy in bulk. So I'll go out and say, I need 30 trees. I need 50 laurels. I need 70 boxes. You bring them to that site? Yes, ma'am. I bring them okay. to there and water them and wait until I can go down and get them on site. 
but it's not nothing is sold from there to homeowners. That's okay. I mean, but you yeah. but you do have a landscaping contractor's yard. Yes, ma'am. Our site, and that's not allowed in R four. And because it has not been that since nineteen forty three or forty five, the zoning district is. I, I think you should go for zoning. Yeah, I, myself. I wrote that down. Just go for zoning. Can I ask you a question that I'm a little bit confused on? In here it says, any use in which has existed illegally and does not conform to the provisions of the zoning regulations and has been in continuous existence for a period of 10 years and which has not been the subject of any adverse or order or other adverse action by administration official during said period shall be granted non-conforming use. Thereafter, such shall be governed and provisions subject to so that only applies, um, there's an opening to that, that Laura's probably gonna read it, that does not apply to Louisville Metro. That's the state. Right, okay. so that's in um, KRS 100-253, what you're reading from is subsection three, and then the next section is subsection four, and what it says is the provisions of subsection three shall not apply to counties containing a city of the first class, a consolidated local government, that would be metro, an urban county government, or a city with a population equal to or greater than 20,000. Oh, okay, well, it didn't specify all that when I looked it up, but I guess my next question is, is that if, if that's in the laws and then we move to this since 1943 jurisdiction, I mean, how long has that been a law? I mean, because Basically, the metro annexed, I mean, the county, the city metro annexed metro in, which is where I'm at. Is that correct? Which right. put so, us under a governing set of laws. How long ago was that? So the county, the unincorporated parts of the county have been, when we do a non-conforming rights, goes back to uh, 1943. And then if you look at the urban services district, which is... This this former city, right? Um, that goes that doesn't go back as far. That had more recent changes, so that one goes back, I think, to 1971. I want to say is the year. And then, of course, um, we always look at the history of the property because there could have been a zoning, a rezoning since then, so it could change. Right. But but generally speaking, absent some other rezoning or some other action, if you're dealing in what is sort of the unincorporated county. The timeline, unfortunately, is 1943, and if you're within Metro, it's 1971. Okay, but I guess what I'm asking is, is when did these laws come into play? 1943 for Jefferson County. Okay, well, I'm just asking. I mean, like I say, I, I don't know what else to say. I don't know that I can get a C2 conformance zoning. Like I say, I'm parking equipment that belongs to me personally there and leasing it to the company. It's all under roof, which is the only thing that they've ever told me, you know, when I called down to the city for guidelines and said, if it's under roof, it's not obstruction, it's not showing, we're good with it. And I said, okay, and that's why I put things under roof. That's why I rebuilt chicken coops and the things that I did to leave them as they were, to just make them better, to make the structures look better for the property. Like I said, you riding by there today, you would ride by my house and you would not even know I was there. And and like I say, my landscape, my uptick to the property, what I'm doing to the property next door to me is doing nothing but adding to the south end. I spend three quarters of a million dollars every year in the south end. Sir, I, I don't mean to be in stopping you from 
We believe you. I know. The problem is we have a law that we have to go by. And um, I firmly believe even if you applied for zoning change, I, and I'm just coming off of my own planning experience, I don't think you'd have a problem getting rezoned. Uh, if, any, you, if you come through with something like you talking today, yeah. I don't think you're going to have an issue. That's just me personally. Have you talked to anybody about the commercial greenhouse use? I'm over here. Um, so <laughs> there's a use. I, I mean, I haven't itemized all the things that you're doing, but a lot of them might fall under a use, which is permitted in your zoning with the conditional use permit, which isn't as intensive as a process as a rezoning, it comes right back to this board. I don't know if we've looked at that or not, Joel. You well, can just nod. Um, it, um, there's standards, and I'm not saying that you would meet all of them, but it would again. allow some of the things you're doing, and it would wipe away the nonconformance, and then you would just be operating under a conditional use permit. You may or may not. It's some. It's a conversation to have yes. if you don't grant nonconforming rights today. Who would he have that conversation with? With staff, uh, staff, you and Joe. Joe. And that's that. Uh, that's a good idea, Joe. Yeah, I'm I hadn't even thought about conversation. My mind was that, thinking about yeah, what he just remember doing. all the stuff you good. talked about today. That's what. You, yeah, it's good that you came here, sir. All I can say is, for forty years of doing this, I've just tried to go by the rules, the laws, and do what I'm supposed to do and stay above board. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying not to cause problems or waves with you all or anyone else in the city. I'm just trying to get along and do my job. So, so you're saying basically come see you and find out what that is. Let's see where this goes. Um, they're going to make a decision on your nonconforming rights that could address your situation. I don't know how they'll vote, but if not, there's a conditional use, which sounds like it will allow some of the things that you're doing. Maybe all of them will have to talk it through. Okay. Um, can I get my pictures back then, I guess? Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll give you yeah. No. And, and yeah, those pictures are part of the record. We need to keep them. Yeah, I was going to say, you understand. Thank you. They can make a copy. Oh, we can scan them and then we can yes. give them back. Um, and they'll give them back to you, yeah. Okay, Joe, is that a motion? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we do. We do have another speaker. Oh. Cindy Fowler. Hey, Cindy Fowler, um, 14206 Polly's Gap Road. You swear that the testimony you're about to give today is the truth? I do. Please proceed. So, um, I know Chris from church, and um, he is just one of those guys that whatever you need, he comes up to the plate and does it. And most of the time, it's free of charge. Um, my husband uh, called him, uh, what's it been, three, four weeks ago uh, at Sun Valley Park. You know, they're doing redoing the fields. He came out over there and worked for seven hours. I mean, and and you know, thousand dollars worth of work for free. So I mean, and and I've been to his home. I know that. You, I mean, when you were talking about the um, the shrubs or the trees, he doesn't unload them. They're you know, 
watered on the vehicle. On the so it's not like, you know, he's got stock sitting around over there. But um, anyway, I just, I feel like it's an agricultural use. I know there was, you know, an auto, whatever, body shop or maintenance, um, but I just feel like that it should be granted, you know. That's all, thanks. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Ms. Uh, Fowler. Ms. Fowler. I don't want to leave you hanging. Um, if it weren't for the trucks, I don't think we would have as much of a problem. Okay. Does it not make a difference that those are personal trucks? They're not in, you know, they're not his work trucks. They are work trucks, but they are not in the company name. Do you know what I'm saying? I hear you. I don't know. If so there's nothing that shows that it's a landscape right. business. Right. It, I don't know. It Staff matters. It, that. that distinction is important. Um, but then we run up against another decision that you would have to make in terms of nonconformities, which is we, you're only allowed so many vehicles on your personal property to be stored outdoors. And I don't know if you, I'm going to assume um, this may cross that threshold, which is typically five. So I guess you could be nonconforming to that rule too. Um, it's something to consider if if they're not tied to the landscaping business or some other agricultural use but if they're under roof that makes a difference too if they're garaged it yes. certainly does they're uh, all garaged but if carports i don't know if we've made an interpretation whether a carport's exempt or not maybe we'd have to look into that they're, but they are you know other than the front you know there's sides on them all so anyway, I just, I just feel like that it falls within, or I wouldn't be here. So thank you. Uh, do thank we have another question? Thank you. Rick, did you have a question? Please. Okay. All right. I don't have any other speaker cards regarding this case. So if there is no one online, we'll close the public hearing and go into deliberations on the non-conforming rights or 1910 Lower Hunters Trace. Hmm. I don't even know how to start, but Madam Chair, I think there is possibly non-conforming rights for part of the, when I want to say a partial part of the site. Um, but I don't know how to to you know, make the motion for all of that. Um, and, the, and the other thing, I'm, I'm just going to put all my thoughts out there. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is I I like the, the statement coming from uh, Joe Haberman about considering a conditional use permit. A conditional use permit would not require as long of a process uh, as a zoning change. And um, I think he could work with that. I don't know. You all can tell me how to make a motion. I'm just putting it out here. So, I mean, the conditional use is something he has the right to pursue. So whether you give him non-conforming rights or not, if you were to give him non-conforming rights, he's still going to be kind of locked in to what's happening today. He can't expand it. Um, so the conditional use would be a way to let him expand and potentially do additional things. So he can pursue that regardless of how you act today. Um, so I guess really you just need to decide whether he's satisfied the non-conforming rights, you know, standards and 
justified that the use has been back on the property since, I guess, 1943 in this case. Um, and then if you decide that he didn't, we can talk about alternatives. Rezoning is always an alternative. Um, this conditional use sounds like something that will help as well. And the CUP would be for a conditional use permit for what specifically? Um, it's a collection of things. It's the commercial greenhouse slash plant nursery slash landscape materials supply. Joe, can I ask a quick question? Because that sounds like that's what he needs to do from my standpoint, the way I see it. I think. So talk to us about timing. Um, and again, it's his option to go for that. But assuming that it, it gets denied today for lack of, you know, we can't do it. Um, with the code enforcement issue in play now, uh, and it could take a couple months or longer for him to get the CUP, can we, he get a stay of execution from them or? We would, for this type of violation, we would likely stay enforcement while he seeks these remedies, as long as he's moving ahead in a timely manner um, and not, you know, delaying or not agreeing to dates and just causing a delay, because it's not really causing a nuisance. It uh, doesn't appear that a direct neighbor is complaining. We would, we would hold on. Thank you very much. Joel, do you have anything to add on that? Just generally, I'm concerned about the board relying on a potential conditional use permit for greenhouse as any sort of justification or mitigation, because I'm not fully sure that this CUP is applicable. Yeah, and like I said, it's just based on what I heard. Um, we'd have to have a deeper conversation uh, to figure out if that's an alternative or not. I'd, that's a good point that Joel's making. So then then to my fellow board members, we're back to Lulu's point. Can we give this man partial, you know, uh, non-conforming rights and just then he's legal on that portion where he but needs Yeah, but how would we need a legal description of that part that's, that has non-conforming rights or how do we deal with that? We'd need that, wouldn't we? Mm -hmm. I said we wouldn't need that, would we not? I wouldn't think we would, but I don't know. How do you make that distinction? Like this one section well, of, the, of the, the two the two that buildings that were there in forty three. I think you would probably do it as the area shown on the nineteen forty forty five on the aerial map. The two the small map. buildings shown on that aerial map, that same general area, would be the non conforming rights. The other thing I wanted to throw out there as a possibility is we've just had a little bit of discussion about possibly a different non-conforming rights for the parking of the trucks mm -hmm. and the carports. Is that something worth exploring? And, and if so, that might be worth a continuance. But I, again, I don't know. I mean, it may turn out into nothing. It may turn into something. So I just wanted to toss that out yeah, there. I mean, the, the, the trucks related to the landscaping is all part of a landscape contractor's yard. I think the applicant stated on the record that he is a landscape contractor. Um, so, I mean, that's why I had reason to be concerned with the commercial greenhouse based on the definition of the land development code. Uh, trucks and things of that, that nature associated with the landscape contractor, so long as they're not heavy trucks, um, are typically allowed in conjunction with a landscape contractor or other contractor shop, but that requires C, uh, C2 zoning. 
uh, you can then ask for C2 with a CUP to have that outdoor storage. Say that last part again. So to have outdoor storage related to a contractor shop, you need C2 with a conditional use permit, not just C2 alone. Oh, there'll be a rezoning and a conditional. Be a rezoning and a conditional use permit for outdoor storage. The the C2 allows for a contractor shop, but requires all the material inside. Oof. So it really depends what the use is as to what if for the part of the site where there's not non-conforming use for a path forward, it could potentially just be that's CUP correct. I mean, it would take a longer or it look could from, be a combination. Right, it would take a longer use. look from from staff to determine what uses moving forward are occurring and what the applicant intends or proposes to do moving forward should the non-conforming rights be denied. Or granted for part of the site, but not enough of the site for what he's doing. That's correct. Well, would staff support a continuance to work on this to figure out what we could grant? Whether or not a conditional use permit can be applied for is not a matter of the non-conforming rights application. I understand. So we could. But act there's a proposal here to give partial non-conforming rights. Yes. But we're confused on it, on how to do it, what it is. So would staff support a continuance to work through that? Has the board been given evidence that leads them to believe that non-conforming rights existed on a part of the property in 1943? Uh, it's pretty um, close. It, 1945. it was two years, two years from 43, so we can't do that. That's up to, to legal counsel. I mean, I think I said earlier you could grant non-conforming rights for partially on the site if you find that evidence supports the granting of non-conforming rights. I think the aerial photos shows uh and it's possible if they were there in 43, they just had an aerial photograph in 45. Yeah, I just don't think it's part of the board's deliberation of whether or not a conditional use permit will or will not be received or is applicable. We bought that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but it's possible that the they were there in 43. There's just wasn't an aerial in 43. They could have been yeah. there and they were there in 45. I mean, that's just me. I agree with that. I mean, it's so close. But I don't know but what still we would do be with partial. the property. It would be yeah. partial. So the back use where I see most of the um, carports Car and, and, and truck parking and whatnot would not be included in that because we can only grant partial because of based on the aerial photography or I'm, I'm just. The thing is, you've got to take sort of what existed in 1943 or what do you think the evidence supported in 1943? And what we have is this one aerial photo that shows those two small buildings. But none of those other buildings, you okay. know, the rest of the site is vacant. So you can't get non-conforming rights by building something after. Right. And once you have non-conforming rights, you get to keep, you, you stay in your bubble. You don't get to expand the bubble. Right. So really the majority of the property would not be conforming. Is that right? If right. you're looking at the photos, yes. yeah, they're, they're, there's not showing buildings there. So that's what. Joel is saying, if if you think there's evidence that supports for those two buildings that non-conforming rights existed in those two buildings, that's really the focus. And then that's I think, up to the I applicant think they did. to do whatever after that. And 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 then the applicant could explore, yes. you know, talking to staff about what's the best path forward. Is it a CUP in front of Boza for this greenhouse? fill in other descriptions, or is it a rezoning? 
you know, or he may choose to pursue neither of them. And, you know, he said he might just close up. That's, that's an option he can take too. Um, but, but he does have other options besides that. Or maybe he looks at it and says, what I'm doing can really fit within this space and not so much the other space, but that seems sort of restrictive. I wouldn't want to presume that for him. But. So I think I hear what you're saying. We can approve the non-conforming, but it would only be for that first uh, what the aerial order of the lot those two buildings what the aerial because, because uh, from from my memory what i saw in the aerial photography is is where that large structure is there's basically a, i think there's a slide that shows can we go back to the 1945 uh, aerial in other words we can't grant it for the entire no, the entire lot. No, that, unless that you could find something to point to, but the absence of the buildings and the absence of a use in the photo makes it. And that's pretty, yeah. and that's kind of close. Oh, I thought it said 45, that says 46, mm -hmm. but it's just three years difference, right? Um, yeah, so. The, the, so it's basically up the, the area that is, is right up. Well, where is the house? It's where the second address the, is. Okay, looks that's like the house. Okay. So those, those two buildings look like it's where 1910 addresses. I mean, from my, my interpretation, I don't know. So it's those, it's those accessory buildings that were there. Yeah. And they could very easily have been there in 43. So we could grant that, but he would still need to do a zoning change or a CUP for the property to, to make him. it all. It would be up to him to do right, whatever. He decide, yeah. Right. And if he did either of those, that would probably also, you, you would get for the site. So it would take over so that this non-conforming goes away. So he yeah, could. Yeah, everything, everything becomes fully. Madam Chair, if you're ready for a motion. Yes, I am ready for a motion. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> Madam Chair, regarding case number 23 nonconform 0024 for nonconforming rights for 1910 Lower Hunters Trace, I move that we, um, uh, let me see, how can I say that? We approve, is that the good word? Uh, we, we find that there were two accessory buildings uh, shown on a 1946 aerial photo that could very easily have been there in 1943, the year that uh, non-conforming uses, I mean, uh, the 1943, the, the year that allows non-conforming uses. And I believe that based on that aerial, it appears that those two accessory buildings uh, shown behind the home could be, uh, have been there in 1943 to declare that portion of the site to have non-conforming rights. Uh, for the landscaping contractors shop. And I base this on the testimony and evidence that we have uh, had today. Second. It's been moved and seconded to approve non-conforming rights for that portion of the property where the two buildings um, appear on the aerial photography dating back to 1946. 
I base that on the staff report, the discussion we've heard to date. I do want to make sure that the attorney is in agreement with that. Well, I mean, the staff report really said it's inconclusive and pushed it to us. So it's really more the evidence it, as, as the motion or testimony made and, and the testimony. discussion we've had today. All right. We're ready for a vote. Horton. Yes. Ford. Yes. Butterf. Yes. Bozos. Yes. Howard. Yes. Bond. Yes. Non-conforming rights have been granted for uh, that part of the, the site where the two buildings appeared in the photograph, aerial photograph from 1946. Um, so, Mr. Kelty, I'd suggest working with staff on options for the remainder of the site. Good luck. Joel, did you have something? Okay. Uh, maybe it's a, a question for uh, the county attorney. Did we need to take action on the remainder of the property to affirm or deny nonconforming rights for the remainder? I would agree with Joel. Um, the, the complaint was didn't lack detail and just mentioned whole properties. So I think you would have to either defer if you believe additional information could answer that question for you, or if you don't feel that's going to become available, I think you should take action. What's a good word? Defer action on the remainder part of it. But I would only defer generally. They can always, the thing about nonconforming rights is they can always ask again. That's just the nature of it. So I wouldn't defer unless you know exactly what you want them to go find and what you think would be of value if you were to deny the back portion you either have non-conforming rights or you don't the question is have you presented enough evidence they could always come back with new evidence and we could look at that again our general rule is we just don't look it over if you don't provide any new evidence because then we're just doing the same thing over and over again so if you don't feel he's satisfied it today i would suggest denying non-conforming rights for that portion of the site and then he can pursue some of these things rezoning maybe a conditional use maybe applying again if he can find more information that wasn't presented today yes all right does everybody understand the discussion for me to do that too. ready for a motion on the remainder of the site <laughs> so this is two vote two mo one, two one motions Mr. oh i'm Mr. sorry that's yeah. how, how then are we we defining that portion that has nonconforming? What we would what I think we do is we make a second motion and says for the remainder of the site, absent the two buildings in the 1946, we find that there are not nonconforming rights. Basically, okay, once again, it's the same reference point. It's that's a sufficient description, right? To if, know it's where... if it's a sufficient description for a yes, I think it's a sufficient description for. Everything but that is the no. Okay. Thank you. Member Howard. Okay, I'm getting it together. For the remainder of the site. I move that we deny. Yeah. Based on. Okay, Madam Chair, regarding um, 23 non 
nonconform 0024. Um, for the remainder of, well, maybe I should say I move that we deny nonconforming rights for the landscaping contractor shop for the remainder of the site absent of the two accessory buildings um, in the 1946 aerial photo. Uh, do I need to say something else? Based on uh, the testimony and evidence that we've had today and uh, the vote that we've already, and the action we've already taken on the two accessory buildings that uh, did, did have non-conforming rights. Here a second. Ooh. Seconded. Forward. All right. It's been properly moved and seconded to uh, deny nonconforming rights for that portion of the site, excluding the two buildings that appear in the 1946 aerial photographs. Yes. And that's based on testimony we've heard today, the discussion we've had today. There. Okay. All right. So it's been properly moved and seconded. We're ready for a vote. Horton. Yes. Ford. Yes. Budorf. Yes. Bozos. Yes. Howard. Yes. Bond. Yes. It was hard. All right. Um, so before we move on, I would just suggest um, to the property owner to yes. call me and Joel and we can have a meeting to kind of go over what all this means um, at our office or on WebEx if that works, but have your contact. We'll reach out to you after this, um, probably tomorrow. Thank you. All right, next item is um, Conditional use permit for Meredith Dunn School. Amy Brooks, Planning and Design Services Staff, 444 South Fifth Street. This is 23 CUP 0285 Meredith Dunn School. This is a request for a conditional use permit for a private institutional use. Next, the applicant is requesting a conditional use permit for a private institutional use for the Meredith Dunn School. The subject site is located a block southwest of Breckenridge Lane and Taylorsville Road. It currently serves students K through eight with identified learning who have been identified with learning disabilities. Under the requested CUP, the applicant is proposing to construct 11,644 square foot addition. This will replace some outdated office and classroom space. This will require relief from items A and C of the CUP standards. The existing buildings are located closer than 30 feet to the property line, which is, I can, 
which is standard A of the conditional use permit for the private institutional use. And there is some off street parking located upon Midland Avenue, which requires the board to grant relief to standard C of the private institutional use CUP. Next, this is the zoning map. You can see the blue outline. It is surrounded by commercial zoning and OR1. This is an aerial photograph of the site in question. <clears throat> this is the applicant site plan where you see the blue where you see the blue arrow is where the new proposed structure is planning to go along Midland Avenue. These are the elevations provided by the applicant. This is the front of the subject property. This is Meredith's Dunn main building. As you look down Midland Avenue, where I have the blue arrow is the proposed site where the addition is going to be to go. This is the location of the proposed addition looking up Midland Avenue. So the addition will be going to the proper to the area on your right behind that four board horse fence. And this is the opposite side of the school. Um, you can see to your left, there is tree canopy that is existing that is buffering it from some of those residential uses. And there to the right where you see the blue arrow again is the proposed addition. And um, these are your standard conditions of approval. The use will be exercised within two years and has to be in strict compliance with the development code. I mean, with the development plan. <laughs> um, the proposal appears to be adequately justified for approval, including relief and appears to meet all other standards of the conditional use permit. Your required actions today are to approve or deny the conditional use permit for a private institutional use. Are there any questions for staff? Thank you. Thank you. Chair, Chair Member uh, Bond, Amy, within your justification, you provided justification for the relief within the conditional use permit? I, I did. Okay. Just to clarify for the board, if you choose to grant relief, it's already justified within the staff report. Thank you. have a speaker card for Alex Rosenberg. Good afternoon, Mr. Rosenberg. Good afternoon. Would you raise your right hand. You swear the testimony you're about to give today is the truth. I do. Name and address, please. Alex Rosenberg, Al Engineering, 13,000 Middletown Industrial Boulevard, Suite A, Louisville, Kentucky, 40223. Please proceed. And I'm here also with uh, Mark Lichtefeld, who represents Meredith Dunn. He's on the board of directors as well as uh, Lichtefeld Inc., the contractors that'll be building the, the expansion. Uh, just real quick, I think, you know, the purpose of this, I still struggle with why a, a, an institution that has been in existence for so long requires a conditional use permit, but nonetheless, that's why we're here. Um, I have evidence that goes back that Melbourne Heights School was 
uh, was built prior to 1951. Meredith Dunn, uh, the Meredith Dunn School purchased the school building from uh, the Jefferson County Public School System in 1978 and in 19 or 1980 and has been in existence and continuously using the property as a private institutional private school since then. Um, I think everything is in order and be happy to answer any questions. I have one. What, uh, and I'm curious about it. Uh, I'm very familiar with Merrick Dunn. I support everything you guys are doing. It looks good to me. When you say you're replacing uh, the old worn out Areas are you tearing them down and rebuilding something, or what will you do with the old? At place? some point in the future, they'll be torn down. They they are in in such a condition. We we need to move them into the new. We we need to put them in, and the existing um, the expansion that we've done several years ago doesn't have enough room for that. We'd like to move the offices, the admin. We'd like to move the classrooms, those type of things, and uh, you know those there's there is a use for that existing facility, but it was built nineteen. Prior to 1951, so it's it's life is is uh, it's been a complete and full life. Any other questions for Mr. Rosenberg? Thank you. Thanks. I have a speaker card for Mark Lichtefeld. Mr. Lichtefeld, do you, do you want to speak? Okay. All right. Yeah, Mark Lichtefeld, um, 908 South A Street, Louisville 40203. You swear the testimony you're about to give today is the truth. I do. Please proceed. Yeah, just I'm just here to answer any questions about the the addition. You know, it's a expansion for the or moving children from one building to another uh, for for better use. They have an outbuilding right now. They want to let's get rid of the outbuilding. They have uh, some of the houses across the street where there's the library and another part of the building. They want to bring it all into one building so it's safer, so they don't have to cross the parking lot, cross the street, and things like that. Mark, I remember seeing something in the uh, in the meeting about uh, people were concerned about construction access and disruption. Did you address that for them? Okay. Yes, we did. We had uh, some of the neighbors were concerned about the, the you know the traffic flow, which is always an issue with schools within neighborhoods. Uh, they've addressed that with the with the Louisville police uh, many years ago when we did the gym edition of how to make that work better. Um, I think that the biggest concern with the folks in the neighborhood was when they have an event. Um, you know, the parking and the traffic then. Uh, the head of school has addressed that she would send out notices to the neighbors and let them know when something's going to go on so they're aware uh, what they're doing. They only have two events a year. One's Grandparents' Day and the other one's uh, like a fall festival kind of thing. So Nice. Aren't you all doing the addition up there on Westport Road for that school? Uh, that was for Portland Christian. Yeah, great job on that, by the way. I just want to say. Thank I know you all do a lot of church work and stuff. Anyway, looks good to me. All right. Any questions for Mr. Lichtfeld? Don't believe so. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I have no other speaker cards for this case. So I'll close the public hearing. We'll move into deliberations on the the proposed construction for the Meredith Dunn School. Members, discussion and. Uh, Remember that this will re require relief should we move to approve this action will require relief from item A and item C of the CUP standards. And both appear on page 2 of 6 of the staff report.
Okay. Chair. Yes. I'm sorry. Regarding case number 23, CUP 0285 for the Meredith Dunn School at 3023 Melbourne Avenue. I move that we approve the conditional use permit for private institutional use uh, based on the Land Development Code Section 4.2.65. Uh, did I say I move we approve? Okay, yes. and uh, that we provide relief for items A and item C uh, because the uh, justification for both are already in the staff analysis uh, because it's an existing uh, off street parking area and uh, also that the uh, for item A, the, the 30 foot, um, I guess I want to say being, I want to call it encroachment, but anyway, it's existing as well for for the building for existence. So uh, with that, uh, I'm gonna uh, we add the conditions on pages six pick on page six of six for and I base it everything else on testimony and evidence provided today. <laughs> Is there a second? Ooh. Second, Bozos. So tired. I gotta stop. It's been moved and seconded to approve the conditional use permit for the Meredith Dunn School, um, including providing relief to items 4A and 4C in the staff report um, based on the, the reasons stated. And also we have two conditions of approval on page six of six. So we're ready for a vote. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Butterworth? Yes. Bozos? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bond? Yes. The CUP has been approved, thank you. Next item 23 CUP 0196 uh, regarding like life of faith church. <laughs> Molly. Uh, Molly Clark, Office of Planning Staff, 444 South 5th Street, 40202. Uh, let's go to the next slide, please. Uh, this is going to be a conditional use permit for a private institutional use for an existing church. It's going to be for the entire site. Uh, the site is zone R4 neighborhood forum district. Um, the applicant is proposing a 30,000 square foot like assembly room, multi-purpose room, uh, and they're gonna relocate and expand some of the parking areas. Um, this should not increase the number of members or staff. This is going to be serving the existing members of this church. Uh, here is the site, R4, R4 neighborhood, next slide. Here's an aerial, you can see that existing church. Um, You've got the Snyder right next to it as well. <clears throat> and then you see that existing parking area. Next slide. Here's the proposed plan. Um, you can see the existing church to the far right and some of that existing parking is being relocated here. And then you've got the 30,000 square foot assembly room, multi-purpose room. Uh, next slide. So we've got a couple slides of the renderings here. Uh, this is gonna be the front. This will be facing the Snyder, essentially. Next slide. This is the back of the building. Next slide. This is um, one of the sides of the building. Next slide. And then this is a view of sort of the front and side of the church here, or the assembly room. Uh, next slide. Here's a photo of that existing church. Next slide and the existing parking. Yeah, where Joel's cursor is, is where that 
proposed multi-purpose assembly building will be located. Get more photos of that existing parking area. Next slide. This is the uh, existing single family home next door down the street on Spiegel Lane. Next slide. This is the view of the Snyder from the subject site. So the conditional use permit is being applied to the whole site, like I said before. Uh, the applicant is meeting all five listed requirements. They're outside of that 30-foot setback requirement. They're providing all the required property parameter buffers. There's no variances, no waivers being requested. Uh, I did talk to one neighbor who's lived there for apparently hundreds of years. <laughs> Her family has at least, and she wanted to know what was going on. I explained it, and she didn't really have any issues with the proposal once I explained it to her. Uh, next slide. So the required actions are to approve or deny this conditional use permit for private institutional use. And then you've got your two conditions of approval. It's the usual standard two conditions we see on conditional use permits. Do you all have any questions about this proposal? Any questions for Molly? I don't think so. Well, just one question. So if the board should move to approve the conditional use permit, uh, we would not need to set specific hours if we base that on the staff report because the staff report does state that the hours will be common hours for a religious institution. Yeah, that's correct. And you can ask the applicant specifically about hours, but staff wasn't very concerned with the church hours. Okay. We, we will ask. Thank you. Sure. All right. I have a speaker card for Mark Bloomquist. All right. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Do you raise your right hand? Do you swear the testimony you're about to give today is the truth? Yes. Name and address, please. Marv Blumquist, Blumquist Design Group, 10529 Timberwood Circle, Suite D, Louisville 40223. Please proceed. And I'll be brief. What you see is a site plan that shows the entire property. The majority of that property that was up on the screen. <laughs> oh, that was Virginia Chance. Very good. I was getting ready. Yeah, to my apologies. You want me to pull the plane up for this it, case, Marv? You don't need to. I mean, okay. I think we, we went through it. Molly did a great job going through it. It is purely a CUP that we had to go through because it's an institutional church. No waivers, no variances. All the, the A, B, C, D, E we meet. No waivers or relief from those do we need. At first, we had waivers, and we moved some things around at, at both staff level and MSD's looking at it to get us out of having to, to have any kind of waivers or variances or or relief so i think this one's a by the book so you're working with msd on that currently or you have an answer for yeah. them we had it slid back further and they had some questions about drainage back in the back as far as an existing drainage feature a little swale that was back there so when we moved everything forward 20 or 30 feet we lost some parking that's why we added some parking back in but other than that, we got ourselves off of those waivers and variances and the relief. Everything, we don't need any of that now. Okay. So they were happy and we're happy. All right. I'm happy too, since there's no variances and no waivers. Amen. Yeah. As far as church hours, yes. um, Pastor Stephen is with me. If if the questions come up, he's more than happy to, to address them. But it is typical church. They have staff that's there every day of the week. But then Wednesday night, they have Wednesday night services that are usually over 8, 8 or 8.30, and then Sunday morning services and Sunday afternoon choirs and that kind of stuff. So it, it's very typical. It's not 
midnight bingo or anything like that. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank members, you. any questions for Mr. Bloomquist? No. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> I have a speaker card for uh, Stephen Frazier. No, just here to answer questions. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, those are the only two speaker cards I had on this case. I have on this case rather. So if there um, are no other discussions, no other testimony, then I'll close the public hearing. We'll move into uh, deliberation on 23 CUP 0196. Uh, proposal to construct a 30,000 square foot multi-purpose room and expand the existing parking lot. Madam Chair, I'd like to make a motion. Please do. Thank you. With regard to case number 23 CUP 0196, the Life of Faith Church, I move that we approve the conditional use permit for a private institutional use. I base this on the staff report and testimony heard today. Conditions on page and the conditions on page six of six. Thank you. There second. Seconded. Board. Been properly moved and seconded to approve the CUP for the Life of Faith Church. We're ready for a vote. Horton. Yes. Board. Yes. Butterworth. Yes. Bozos. Howard. Yes. Bond. Yes, Mr. Pastor Frazier and uh, Mr. Bloomquist, your CUP has been approved. Thank you. Mayor, we appreciate you keeping it short too. Thank you. All right. Okay. Last item on the agenda is the conditional use permit for the Virginia School of Chance, Molly. Wally Clark, Office of Planning Staff, 444 South 5th Street, 40202. I set a email on each of your desks or seats from a neighbor um, concerned about the project. So I don't know if you all had a chance to read that. It came in before the deadline. I have. Okay. Members, yes. if you had an opportunity oh, yeah, to review that. Idea. Yes. Um, all right, so we're looking at another private institutional use, conditional use permit for a private elementary preschool. Uh, the school's been around since the 1950s. Uh, so we're looking at a variance to exceed an 80-foot maximum setback. We're looking at a waiver uh, to eliminate the property parameter landscape buffer. And then, again, the conditional use permit. Next slide. The site is zone R1, Neighborhood Form District. Um, like I said, there's an existing elementary preschool there. Uh, applicant is proposing three outdoor pavilions uh, that will function as outdoor classrooms. Um, and then, like I said, the conditional use permit is going to be for the entire site. Next slide. So here is the entire site. It's two um, parcels along Lime Kiln Lane, both owned by the school. Uh, next slide. Here is an aerial of the two properties. Next slide. So um, zooming into where the actual development is located, 
we are looking at two pavilions on that larger parcel across the street from the actual school. And then we're looking at one smaller pavilion next to the existing school. Um, just to point out, can you go back real quick, Joel? Just to point out, there was a CUP approved for that parking area next door in 1993. Um, so there's no property parameter buffer or setback or anything required in that area. Uh, next slide. So this is across the street on that larger parcel. You've got the smaller pavilion uh, up north. Um, and then you've got the larger pavilion. This is the one that needs the variance to exceed the 80 foot setback. It's set back at about 160 feet or so. Uh, next slide. And then this is the other smaller pavilion being proposed next to the existing school. Uh, next slide. Again, this is showing that variance required. Next slide. Um, I know Marv's got better uh, views of the renderings, but uh, this is the proposed rendering going next to the school on the smaller parcel. Next slide. This is the larger pavilion uh, that will be exceeding the front yard setback. Next slide. And then this is that smaller pavilion on the larger parcel. Um, next slide. So this is a view from Lime Kiln Lane of the existing school in that parking lot that's uh, part of that old 1993 CUP for off-street parking. Next slide. This is across the street. That's the larger parcel where the two pavilions are being proposed. Next slide. Again, more views of that larger parcel. Uh, next slide. And then this is across the street um, showing where that existing single family is. Uh, next slide. So the applicant is gonna need relief from item A regarding 30 feet from any property line. Um, the remaining standards, the applicant is meeting the other remaining standards. Uh, in regards to the concern email we got, um, staff is proposing that a condition be added regarding the parking lot lighting be in compliance with uh, chapter four that speaks to lighting uh next slide molly why would they need why would you need a condition if it's already in there you don't oh, need it to bring it to their attention yeah it was it was brought up in that email so and it would make it more difficult if they sought to get relief to that through a waiver. Now they have to also come back and address this condition. But and you know you can ask the applicant about the existing lighting as well and and talk about that. Um, and next slide, Joel. So required actions today are to approve and approve or deny the variance to allow that larger pavilion to exceed the 80 foot setback. You also got a waiver that to approve or deny regarding the property parameter landscape buffer, and then approve or deny the conditional use permit for the private institutional use. Uh, that should be it. Do you all have, there's a lot going on here. Do you all have any questions? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the email that we received and it does, um, there is a question raised and I believe there's a speaker here who will address this. Yeah, but, I believe so as well. Okay, related to restroom facilities associated with these classrooms. So um, I believe we'll hear more about that. Our, yeah. our restroom facilities, they're I, not I'd proposed. See any restroom facilities proposed? It was not in the letter of explanation. It wasn't on the plan. Um, 
but certainly more yeah. can be here to answer any questions about that too. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Molly? Members? Yeah, one please. Sure. So MSD and uh, transportation have preliminarily. Yes, they've, they've reviewed, reviewed this plan. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I have a speaker card for Mr. Bloomquist. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing? Good, 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 doing well. <laughs> Just name and address, please. Okay. Marv Blumquist, Blumquist Design Group, 10529 Timberwood Circle, Suite D, Louisville 40223. Um, Joel, if you could, I guess, start with the site plans. I'll repeat some of what Molly said, but I'll try to be, again, brief since it's five. I apologize. Mm -hmm. And with me, I've got um, Dr. Betsy Fitch with the school, and then Dan Preston is the architect for this. If we have any questions, I'm not sure they need to speak other than questions. Okay, so this one does show the combination of the properties. It's got Lime Kiln Lane that runs through the middle of those two properties. The larger tract in the bottom is the big floodplain area that, that we're all aware of along River, River Road. The school sits up well above the hill uh, or well above the floodplain on the hillside. Going to the next one real quick. The, the variances and waivers, the variances, as Molly said, the one is for the what we call the four evergreen pavilion, which is the larger pavilion on the left. It is that 160, 50, 60 feet off. If we put it 80 feet off, we'd be in the middle of the parking area. And to be that big of a, of a structure sitting close to the road just didn't seem to make sense in this case with that large opening part. The other pavilion is the Traeger pavilion that's up in the left-hand corner, top left. And I'll explain the use of these in just a second. The other one to keep on the right-hand side over where the existing school is, is called the Houston Pavilion. That's the one that we need the relief from for item A. The reason we need the relief for that one is the hillside. You'll see on a rendering in a second. But the hillside comes up quite steeply from that lower parking area up to the school, some probably 20 to 30 feet at least. If we scooted that building back any further, we're digging into that hillside even even greater and cutting off the open air part of the pavilion. It's it's scooted back. We thought we needed to be 15 feet until we found the CUP for the parking lot. So we, we scooted it back. It's about 11 feet off of the parking lot that's there now, scooted into the hillside as much as we could. The purpose, the intent of, oh, back up a second. Then the waiver is for that Houston pavilion because there's supposed to be a 15 foot LBA that we show. And then the existing building is actually in that 15 foot LBA that may have been with a previous case, I don't know, but that's the landscape waivers is for those two issues. The intent of these pavilions, I gotta make a joke. It's not the Virginia School of Chance. It's the Virginia Chance School. We're not into gambling. Right, right, <laughs> right, regardless. right. Yes, yes. The Virginia Chance School in their, in their way they operate, the way they teach, they are very big into environmental teaching, very big into outdoor meeting. If you go out there right now without these pavilions, two things you're gonna see are outdoor potties. And the second part is big white tents that you'll see around PGA and Valhalla and all that stuff. The neighbors don't like those. So there's over a million and a half dollars going into pavilions to get those tents out, but they use those for outdoor classrooms. 
on a on a day when it's raining, you'll drive through that area and you'll see kids, everything from three year olds up to fifth grade, walking around that campus in rain boot, rain galoshes, in rain coats, teachers having umbrellas. They're outdoors, even in the snow. They have snow suits that are assigned to them. This is an outdoor, not all time, but this is an outdoor type of classroom facility that we're trying to build. I apologize if it hasn't been understood, but yes, there are restrooms in the forever green one, the large one, and then there's a restroom in the small Houston one that's up against the hillside. I'll, I'll get into those in just a second. But that's in, in essence what we're trying to do is just provide, and you saw in the renderings, you'll see in a second, they are open air. They're not enclosed totally. The bathrooms are enclosed, but everything else is open air for the kids to be able to go on a day like today when it's drizzly and stand under the shelter and be able to be taught, but yet still be outside. Um, let's hit the, if we can, the letter, and I know Each of those four items that were brought up. I will touch on each of those four items. The first item was the crossing and signage. That was for the crossing from the parking lot, that is where the big pavilion is, for both staff and students to cross over both ways. You want to see the property, tents are out there, and also get. Lime kiln backing up. The clarification on that is they went through, I wasn't a part of that, but they went through, and I've got documentation if need be, through Public Works, Metro Public Works, through Dirk Gowen's office, and got everything approved for both the crosswalk and the signage. And in fact, Metro Works is the ones that put it in. We they did not put it in. Metro Works put the crosswalk and the signage in. So to say that we didn't get that properly approved is not totally correct. We do have the, the permit and the approval. The light, <clears throat> there was a, a large light that is down in the top left-hand site plan, but in the lower right-hand corner um, along that building edge, uh, a little bit, yeah, maybe inside the property, just a little bit, maybe right in there. It was one like you see for a big security light. Um, lg &E owned it. That came up in our June, uh, neighborhood meeting that was removed within a couple of weeks after that that light is no longer there that was understood that that was an eyesore we had been trying or they had been trying to get lg&e and they finally were able to get it taken out um, i actually appreciate the condition that was put on because there will be some parking lot lighting put down here right now there's no parking lots but we should only have to adhere to the code the zero foot candles the no light trespass all those we can adhere to, and, and we'll have a lighting photometric to, to do so, um, but no more big security light that blinds people and also causes problems for the neighbors. When was that light removed? Probably in July. In July. Okay, thank you. First part of July, but in our meeting was in middle June, I believe it was, and it was a... I'm sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll speak a little louder. So it was mid-June when we had the meeting and probably early July when, we, when the light was taken out by LG&E. The third issue is an issue that's much bigger than us today, unfortunately. We, we all have distracted drivers. You can drive home tonight on I-64 and I guarantee you'll see at least two or three people doing things on their cell phone that they're not supposed to. 
what the school has tried to do is they've not they've put it into their parent handbook that they address with the parents at the beginning of each school year and they verbalize that in meetings every time they get the chance to try to keep people off of their cell phones off of reading books off of doing whatever they are that gets them distracted when they're coming and picking up their own kids we're, we're trying to do that but that's not something we really have a whole lot of of control over that's not really something that the board can act on i did not want to say that but you're correct that right but i figured it was in there it was item three it needs to be at least addressed. yeah thank you for addressing that the fourth issue the fourth issue has to do with sanitary sewers and there are no sanitary sewers down in this area from a public standpoint no msd sewerage there is a lagoon system that was gone through and designed and approved by the public health department uh, Mike Ballard was involved at the time, and he's back now, I understand, with Health Department. But it has been approved for the school. The school is not adding any students because of this. They have, if I remember right, 260 students. This is not a, this is not a growth that they're trying to do. They are simply trying to get rid of the white tents and put the kids in an outdoor area that is covered and has some restrooms so the little kids that are two and three and five years old don't have to run back up to the school to go to the restroom as soon as they get down there. So the sewerage was approved, is still approved by the health department. We are adding facilities, but those facilities take no more sewage flow than if they were up top. The kids are just transplanted to the lower area to use the restroom instead of running back up. Um, if, if more is needed from the health department, I, I, I'm, I don't want to use the word guarantee, but MSD is going to make us provide them documentation from the health department that they are okay with this before they're going to let us put in a sanitary sewer or put in the, uh, the restrooms. I think that addresses the four um, concerns in Dr. Polk's, and he can, he can expand on that. If we can flip through the elevations real quick. So this is the Houston Pavilion. You can see the hillside going up. You, you don't see the school in the rendering, but the intent of this one, there is one off to the left of it that is called the Florida Heights that's behind a couple of trees. The thought is to mimic that kind of a, of a look. These are stone columns, stone for the uh, restrooms, and then open air wood type pavilions. One of the comments at the, at the public meeting was, was at the time, we didn't have these level of details on the art on the renderings. They were concerned about what the look was that it would be too commercial, too generic. And we pointed them to say that the intent of, of Dan's Mr. Preston's um, architecture has been to, to try to mimic what's up at Locust Creek. And when some of those that, that were at the meeting, we understand went through Locust Creek and saw some of that. And I think now they would agree that this looks a whole lot more like that with the wood timbers, the wood structures, and the stone usage. Next slide. This is the forever green. This is the large one. You can see where the restrooms are. Um, this one will have solar panels. The other ones in the trees will not. This one will have solar panels on it um, on the steeper sided, on the steeper sided roof. Next slide, please. Again, you can see how the, that's, that's where the solar panels will be. You can see this is the view that's actually from Lime Kiln Lane. So the kids will be behind those looking out into the field when they're being instructed. Next, please. Keep going. That was the, the Houston room again, Houston Pavilion showing it. 
And this is looking from River Road, that's the dark in front of you, or I'm sorry, Lime Kiln Lane, that's the dark in front of you. And then the Traeger is that open air structure to the left. Behind it is the Forever Green with the solar panels. The Traeger will also have solar panels on this side that's facing it. This is the solar panel side as if you're looking at it from Lime Kiln Lane. Again, it has no restrooms, it's all open air. Don't know if there's any more. Or any more, Joel? Is that it? Okay. I think that, other than questions, I think that's it for the presentation. Like I said, Dr. Fitch is here for questions, or Dan Preston, the architect, if you have any for them. Any questions for Mr. Bloomquist? I have questions. So, uh, one is uh, currently, the, and I'm just doing this by memory, when you leave River Road and you go up Lime Kiln Lane, the main facility is on your right. That's correct. Up on the hill, and there's mm -hmm. parking there. There's some parking there on the right. Correct. And then there's parking up on top of the hill. As you well. go through that parking lot to get up to it? Yes. Okay. No, 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 no. You do not go through the lower parking lot to get up the hill. Okay. You go past the school, and there's an entrance on the right. right. It's been a while since. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now, from from your site plan, then on the left side is where two pavilions will be built. That's correct. The big one, and the not so big one. Correct. And there's parking there as well. Correct. In and front of the big one. Uh huh. In front of the. In big front one. of the big one. And there's that whole floodplain. Is all that property owned by the, by the Chan School? Yes. Okay. Great. So, and I guess they use us for soccer fields. I've seen stuff like that. I think yeah. so. So a couple of questions. Uh, if you're taking in provisions that if you ever needed more parking, the placement of the buildings that you could add more parking. Haven't really looked at that because they've got plenty of parking and they're not expanding. So we don't think they're going to have to expand parking. Building wise, there's been no talk of buildings down there. It is the floodplain. This being open air will make dealing with the floodplain easier, but even the bathrooms, we have to do some flood proofing with venting and whatnot because we are in the floodplain to the tune of 15, 16 feet at that point. So you can imagine if, if we put a building, it would be on stilts and it's just not, not practical, I don't think. And that was also a concern of some of the neighbors that you know this is just a stepping stone to adding buildings or enclosing these buildings. That is not the intent. And I, and I'm on record. I'm being recorded that and under oath that is not the intent of this. This is to be outdoor classrooms and outdoor classrooms. Period. So on the right side, the what, what was that originally? What was the Chan School 100 years ago? Um, my understanding, it used to be Ballard, and then it was public. I just learned this today. JCPS had some um, offices there, and then I don't know if it went from there and became the chance school at that point or or not, but it used to be an older school and then it's trans, transformed. Is that side on sewers? No. So that's all on septic of some sort? It, it's all on this lagoon system. So there's I one lagoon it, system for all of it and, and you hope to put the bathrooms on the left side on that as well? Yes. Got yes. it. And we've already had discussions with Mike, with, with Ballard, Mike Ballard at Public Health Department. So we're confident that's gonna happen. Got it. Direct discharge isn't an option. So much prettier. No. Okay. Um, the <laughs> the uh, the other thing. I want, uh, see, what was I going to ask you? So in the winter, they don't drop curtains. They don't have any sort of heat in these buildings. They just go out and freeze. And they're, do they're doing that now. 
I got it. And is there other electricity and, and are any other utilities other than water running over there to on the other side of the street for these buildings? Yeah, other I'll, than I'll, solar? Let Dan, I'll let Dan answer that. Okay, one. great. I don't know that one. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For me, anyway. For now. Amen. <laughs> okay. Any other questions? All right. I have a speaker card for Daniel Preston. Do you raise your right hand? I'll swear you in. You swear the testimony you're about to give today is the truth. I do. Name and address. Uh, Daniel Preston, uh, Studio Archon Architects. We are at uh, 1000 Cherokee Road, 40204. Okay. Any, would you share with us any information that has not already been covered uh, by Mr. Bloomquist? So in, in terms of the, the question about the uh, uh, utilities yes. on the soccer field side of the, of the road, there is existing uh, water service and power over there to a greenhouse structure. The greenhouse structure is going to be demolished as uh, part of this work. Um, the buildings will be off the grid, the solar panels. There will be a, a Tesla power wall system up on an upper mezzanine level of the building that will power all the power needs for the uh, new buildings with the exception of the sewage ejector pump. So there's an existing uh, 100 amp service over on the site right now that'll power the ejector pump. But other than that, the buildings will be uh, off the grid. There's an existing water service over there as well, which will pipe over to the restrooms. Any other questions for Mr. Preston? How are you going to heat the restrooms? The, they're going to have electric heat. Mm -hmm. that is uh, power, uh, powered from the power wall system. Nice. Nice. It's not going to be 75 degrees in those restrooms. It's not going to freeze. It's, it's not going to freeze. It'll be 55 in there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I have a speaker card for Betsy Fish. Fitch. Okay. All right. Uh, members, any uh, questions that you have for Ms. Fitch. Thank you. All right. I have a speaker card for Dr. Hiram Polk. Good afternoon, Dr. Polk. You swear that the testimony you're about to give today is the truth? Yes. Name and address, sir. I'm Kerry Polk, Jr., uh, MD, uh, 5609 River Knowles Drive since 1995. Thank you. Please proceed. That's not relevant to your prior discussions about 1943 and 46. <laughs> you've been here all day, I, I see. I gave an enormous yeah. amount of respect for what you've done here this afternoon. I didn't mean to hear it all, but it's it's impressive. Um, we only lived there since 1995. I'm married to Dr. Susan Delandy, whose hours are abnormal, and mine are abnormal, too. After 52 years at UofL, I come home in mid-afternoon, 3 or 4 o'clock. So I often see the school at full burst. Uh, a couple problems. Our house was built in 1904. So we've been there a long time. There are more than 20 families live on River Knowles. The entrance that you were shown in several of the many slides tonight is about 10 yards from the exit of River Knowles onto Limekill Lane into the parking lot in a proposed area of expansion. So it is very close. I would also say in general, without making reference to my letter, that communication from the school and the people about the neighbors and neighborhood has been poor to non-existent. 
Um, it's been going on a long time, been well planned and deviously planned, but that's a, that's a real problem. Um, failure to communicate about that and the closeness of our access out of our neighborhood is a real problem. Uh, the fact that some of the gates in the new parking area are locked most of the time is another problem. But uh, more, more to the point, um, may I say the blinding light is really a problem and the school has been unwilling several of my neighbors to try to do anything about doing it. If you come off River Road and turn up Lime Kill Lane, south on Lime Kill Lane, the light there in the evening is blinding. I think it's absolutely safe for their staff to get home, but that staff is not going home at 8, 9, 10, or 11 o'clock at night. They could easily be mitigated by any kind of effort, sincerely make this light less difficult. Um, if that talks about that, I'm also concerned about the open air classrooms. I think this is, despite what you were told, and I've been told repeatedly, this is just a guise to expand a school that has a huge tuition payment for all the children of a small age. Uh, it's just school expansion light, and it'll be done in several stages. I don't, I've not been told anything that I could believe about that. I have great concern about this and think this needs to go every kind of process, both for impact on the neighborhood, uh, transportation in and out, its safety. I, uh, I've heard the protests about the distracted drivers. It's something to see them wheeling through there at fairly high speed off River Road in mid-afternoon to pick up their children. It's, it's impressive and dangerous, and they are unresponsive to requests otherwise. So I'd ask you to consider in your planning things that we need to do to better communicate with the immediate neighbors who basically share the exit for this area with you. Try to do something about the light and then consider, consider more the future of the neighborhood. Thank you for the opportunity to make these comments. Thank you. Members, are there any questions for Dr. Polk? I had one. It just, it just left. <laughs> uh, so, River Knoll, when you go up the hill there, don't you go up and the houses sit up on top of the bluff? And If you if you are coming past the, the Chance School, by the way, Chance School was a railroad station that served people coming out from town in the years around World War One. So that's that's its prior thing. If you look at Sand School is here, Lamb Kill is here, River Knowles goes right off the left, fairly up a steep hill. So is the lighting you're complaining about different than the lighting they think they've already removed? The light casts right down into the face of river drivers coming up Lamb Kill Lane off River Road. If you turn off River Road, go right up there in the evening, you'll see it's, it looks like a big truck's coming down the hill. Dr. Park, they think they've taken a light out. He said they, took, they mm -hmm. took one light out. Did that help at all? I've not seen it. Just the time hadn't changed yet. Yeah. Uh, Susan, my wife, comes home most nights about 8 or 8.30, despite my protest. Uh, but in any case, it's still there. So I don't know that it's any better, but I've not been there myself at the evening time. Okay. It may have already resolved itself. Okay. I'll believe it when it happens. And that's all I got. Members, any other questions for Dr. Polk? Don't believe so, Thank sir. You very Thank much. you. All right, you have five minutes for rebuttal, uh, Mr. Bloomquist. My understanding, that light is gone. We 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 heard about that light during the public meeting, and we took action to take that down. I, I'm not I'm not sure if there's a different light from a different source that he's thinking or, or or what there is, or if it's just been daylight long enough that 
we're just now getting into the darker times at an earlier hour, but that the, the light that they complained about and the light that I think he's still talking about today is gone. Um, the expansion is not an issue. That I, I just asked one more time, can I stand up here and say that expansion is not what this is about and not contemplated? And the answer was yes. This is not an expansion. This is outdoor classrooms to get rid of the tents and the porta potties. Um, so, yeah. oh, no, no, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. You mentioned uh, public meeting, and I know one of Dr. Polk's concerns was lack of communication. Could you speak to that? I, I don't know. I've only been involved in the project since this one started. I think there's some um, bad blood, bad, bad whatever between. Dr. Polk in the, in the school. There's another gentleman that also had some, trying to figure out how to say it, but legal threats that were brought up that's not here today that hasn't said anything since, but I, I don't know where their foundation is. When we had the public meeting, there were probably, Trying to remember back, there were probably 15 to 16 people maybe there total. Can you raise your voice just but a little bit? Can you speak into the mic a little okay. more? This thing's lower. I'll lean forward. <laughs> there were probably 15 or 16 people at the, the neighborhood meeting, and we tried to communicate as best we could what we were trying to do, but I, I don't think at one time Dr. Polk, Polk said, I don't trust anything coming out of your mouths. And at that point, I don't know what else I can do other than to under oath say, you know, that's that's not the issue. We've taken the light out. We're not expanding. I, I'm not sure. If there's other questions on communication, probably Dr. Fitz would be the one to, to address those from the school standpoint. Let me ask a question here that just popped in my mind. Lulu, you may have any, some input on this too. So, you know, I'm used to in county schools and stuff, you drive down the road and there's a flashing light, school zone, slow down. It's a private school, right? What would be involved in getting signage like that that says, you know, school zone, slow, stay off your cell phone? Well, I mean, you know, we're into signs today that right. change and stuff. The, um if you're asking what would it take to get a sign like that to do something like that to slow people down, I'll let probably Dan or, or Dr. Fitz say something about what's there because I've not paid that much attention to that. But I can speak to my kids, and I do a lot of work for Christian Academy of Louisville out on English Station Road, and we had to go through a lot with Metro Public Works to get that flashing signage and different things for the same reasons out there, slow down carpool, um, but, and, it's and but it's doable. It it takes uh, it's continuous, and I'm being told it's there. Okay, and I think that you know, I don't want to put words in the mouth, but that is right near the the inter the uh, crosswalk, and it's got the flashing. It's a solar flashing powered light. It says school school zone speed limit twenty five wind flashing, so it is there. And you all did the same thing at Christian Academy? Yes, something very similar. Does it go both directions? Is there one coming up from the south, one coming down from the north? Are they pretty visible? Uh, yeah, yeah. You probably need to come yeah. to the microphone. Sorry. Because no, you're, you're just here for questions. Thank you, come here. <laughs> All right. 
Dr. Fitch, I do need to swear you in. You swear that the testimony you're about to give today is the truth. Name and address, please. Betsy Fitch, 6803 Gunpowder Lane, Prospect. Thank you. Please proceed. We do have those lights exactly like you said. They flash three times a day on either side of the school. Um, and they say crosswalk zone and or school zone slow down. And then in addition, where there is the crosswalk, you can push a button and it'll flash showing people where to um, stop and let folks cross. So all that's already been in place. Um, okay, and, and and signage seems to be a big deal because I agree with with Dr. Polk. I mean, everybody's doing this. We see it everywhere. We'll see it on Fifth Street when we leave. But anything that can draw our attention to doing something different. What about those signs? And one of you may know that that says speed limit 25, you're doing 50. Those seem to have some impact on me. Um, we How about the rest of you? Yeah. yeah, I mean, can can you beef it up a little bit for them? We have that and also in our parent handbook this year in all our meetings, we did put like we were a hands-free zone during our carpools. So you have seen a lot less um, of that, but I, we can look into Could you speak a little closer to the mic. We can look into getting one of those signs. I don't know what's involved in getting yeah, that. You're I going either. this. I think there's already one on River Road and one on Lime Kiln and. Okay. And, and I have to ask this question while you're standing here. How do you feel your communication is with the neighbors? Because so, you are the person in charge. Yeah. So we have a committee, a building and grounds committee, and we meet every two weeks about this project. And one of the neighbors from River Knowles, Mr. John Corfidge, he owns a local landscaping company. He's on that committee. Um, he and I text regularly about what's happening in the neighborhood. He comes to those meetings. Uh, he's going to do the landscape plan for this project so that it's beautiful and fits in with the neighborhood. The other neighbor, um, Ann Wells, her four grandchildren go to our school and she's in our backyard. She's um, someone we communicate with regularly. Um, I think we've reached out. We've offered to go to the um, HOA meetings for River Knowles and we offered to give them a tour of the school. Uh, Doug Grissom is one of the neighbors that lives over in River Knowles. He's come, he's visited, he's taken a tour of the school. So I think that we're there and we're willing to communicate. Um, and of course, we let everybody know about the community meeting and we let them know about the meeting today. If there are suggestions for more things that you think would be helpful, we're always trying to, you know, just improve and do better. Thank you. Can I just add, you didn't ask the, this exactly, but about the parking. We also, um, there's a, like a grass lot on the school side that we can use for parking and Wells owns that and we lease that. So anytime we have a big event, we do use that for overflow parking. We hire a parking group to make sure it all goes in properly and then a crossing guard so that it stays really organized and tidy. So just in case that was still a wonder, we have that as backup parking. And you lease that area? We do say? lease it. Okay. We lease the pond. We lease what used to be the firehouse, mm -hmm. um, all from uh, the neighbor. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Any questions for Dr. Fitch? Other questions? I don't believe so. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I have no other speaker cards for this for this case. So at this point, I'll close the public hearing. We'll go into deliberations. All right, members, we've heard the testimony from those in support and um, Dr. Polk in opposition to the project um, at the Chance School. Um, we have a variance, a waiver, and a conditional use permit before us. Is there a discussion that's needed on any of those three items? <clears throat> I 
the conditions go on the variance? The, the conditional use permit. Conditional use permit. All right. Yes. So we'll take these separately. Yes. Madam Chair, I'd like to make a motion if there's no discussion. Please proceed. Thank you. <laughs> With regard to case number 23 CUP 0249, the Virginia Chance School. Uh, with regard to the variance, I move that we approve the variance from land development code to allow proposed structure to exceed the 80 foot maximum setback by 84.7 feet and be the setback 164.7 feet. I base that on the staff report and testimony and discussion heard today. So the, uh, we're, we're exceeding the 80 foot maximum setback by 84.7 feet. So the resulting setback will be 164.7. Okay. All right. Is there a second? Seconded. Forward. Uh, it's been moved and seconded to approve the variance to allow the structure to exceed the 80 foot maximum setback uh, by 84.7 feet, resulting in a setback of 164.7 feet. We're ready for a vote. Our voting people left. <laughs> Let me fill in here. It took a second to register. It's been after five. Call after four. After four. Uh, Horton. Yes. Ford. Yes. Budorf. Yes. Howard. Yes. Bosos. Yes. And Chair Bond. Yes. Variance has been approved. The waiver. Is there a motion on the waiver? Yes. Uh, with regard to the waiver, um, I move that we approve the waiver from LDC um, to not provide the perimeter landscape buffer areas and screening adjacent to residentially zoned property. Base this on the staff report and testimony and discussion. There's second. Second it. Oh. Been moved and seconded to uh, approve. Member Ford that seconded. Yes. All raised there. One to approve the waiver uh, from land development code to not provide the perimeter landscape buffer areas and screening. Is, uh, we're ready for vote. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Budorf? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bosos? Yes. And Bond? Yes. The waiver has been approved. Lastly, the conditional use permit. Yes, with regard to case number 23 CUP 0249, I move that we approve the conditional use permit for private institutional use based this on the staff report, discussion, and testimony heard today. And must. Uh, relief of item A. Oh, is there relief? Yes. yes thank yeah. you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I want to bring attention to the two conditions of approval on page eight of eight. Also want to provide relief from item A. Lulu to help you. Yes, please. Oh, <laughs> A on page four of eight. Page four, okay. My yes. Yeah. Uh, because of the existing um, parking areas and the uh, structures existing structures right due to this existing parking areas and existing structures are already located closer than 30 they feet are to the already line. 30 feet Ex within 30 yeah, feet from any property, property line. line yes thank you 
and you also need to add binding element three, con I'm sorry, conditional of approval three re regarding uh, outdoor lighting for the, I don't know, for parking lot. So there was a proposed third condition of approval in the staff report that said outdoor lighting for parking lot illumination and security shall meet the requirements of section 4.1.3 of the land development code. Okay. Yes. So amended. That's, I'd like to amend my motion to reflect uh, um, Ms. Ferguson's uh, statement. Second. Second. Horton. All right. It's been moved and seconded to approve the conditional use permit uh, for the private institutional use we've discussed this afternoon. We're ready for a vote. Horton? Yes. Ford? Yes. Budorf? Yes. Howard? Yes. Bosos? Yes. And Bond? Yes. The variance waiver and conditional use permit have been approved. And I'm, and I'm hoping that... Excellent work. Hoping that the applicant understood our third condition because we're kind of tired right now. <laughs> if there is any question on that, uh, Molly will be available to assist. Uh, Madam Chair, I move to adjourn. Can we have new business for just one second? Oh, oh uh, Madam Chair, I'm the past chairman. Oh. You know, this comes up every time we get these these cases about non-conforming rights, and it's. I say this every time and then I do nothing about it. It is ridiculous for us to sit here and think, go back, need to go back 90 years of continuous use. I mean, people weren't even around still today to tell us about it. When the state provision is 10 years, we need to appeal. So the state provision, I don't want you to misinterpret what the state provision is. Think of the state provision more like a statute of limitations, not a basically a date that you go back to and say they're not conforming. So there's a difference when you read that carefully is it doesn't say you're not conforming. It basically says you're immune from enforcement. That's what it says. And that means that they can't necessarily change from one non-conforming use to another. It, they're, they're more limited than you would think at first reading. We are now, the good news about that is it doesn't say that Metro can't follow it. We're just kind of left out of it. So we, why we were left out of it, that was an intentional act. Somebody thought it was better for Metro to be out of it, probably because they weren't comfortable with 10 years. Maybe they wanted something like 20, 30. Who knows? I wasn't there when that carve out was done. We have discussed internally about a code change um, that would either create a local statute of limitation. Ultimately, this is up to Metro Council. Exactly. And so we we have to deal with it um, until we get to that point. Or some other provision like moving the 1971 date, which is also problematic now. It's just better than the 1943 date. Yeah. To a different date, um, such as one that I've kicked around in the past, the date when we did our last overhaul of our zoning code, which is circa 2003. That's a more, I don't think 10 years well, is was, the right answer. No, I don't I, think I anybody, everybody can do their own date and it can feel good. It's. Let me just say this, that at least we're not going back to 1931 for the city of Louisville, because that's the, the year for the city of Louisville. Yeah. But, 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 Lulu, do you not agree with me that this is, 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 a, that is ridiculous for us to think this far back? 
It's well, like the, the reason I don't agree with you is because uh -oh. of the state law saying that we are not a part of that 10 years because we are the city of the first class. Okay. And we are the only city of the first class in Kentucky. Would you agree with me that maybe an update? I do maybe, agree with that. Yeah. But it would take the Louisville Metro Council. But to, somebody, to just like staff presents changes for Airbnbs or, or zoning changes, I mean, what what's it going to take for us? I mean, if not if not now, when? I mean, I mean, we've been doing this since I've been on the board, and it's awkward for me because staff does the best job they can. Yet you see this, and you you go, well, this just doesn't make sense. I mean, they've been doing this, and part and, of it is nonconforming rights aren't really favored. They'd like you to just get the zoning change. Get a zoning change, yeah. So I mean, that's Queen. part of it, um, but part of it's just the mechanism that we're set up. And, and probably when it was first set up, you know, you weren't going back as far, but that's probably, it's a legislative decision at some level, whether that's a Metro Council decision or a state legislature decision. Well, that's what I'm asking. How would we go about? So we're already looking at learning. this, so you don't really have to do anything. We can um, say you can, you can appear, like I mentioned, with the short-term rental right comments or appear before the Planning Commission other than Lula because she's on it and when it gets to that phase but i will just also note you get the challenging ones it's it is difficult to go back to 1943 or 1971 or whatever date but a lot of people do aerials are aren't always helpful but sometimes they are you don't see those ones so you only see the hard ones i'll admit and a lot of people i'll be honest don't go back to 1943 and we all know it. It's just, they went back far enough that, you know, they thought we would give relief. Yeah. So, I mean, we've had a lot of them where I could tell you, we looked at the aerial and it was woodland and it was clearly not there. Somebody at one point did something illegal. The question is, was it so long ago that we care? That's a separate issue of nonconforming rights. Um, that's back to the statute of limitations issue. To have an aerial from 1946, uh, I mean, how many do you see who right up. Uh, that predate 46? And I think that's interesting that you just brought that up because I've done uh, research as a planning consultant in Western Kentucky. It's amazing how those rural areas still have pictures of their lots and what was on them probably back in well, as far as I went back, I was doing a case and it was back like 1936. So we just don't keep things here, but it doesn't mean, you know, that it doesn't happen other places. Yeah, we're just not doing, we're not good historians, I guess. I don't know. Well, and to, to that point about the work that, the work that staff does, um, I mean, staff could receive a nonconforming rights application and dig into it for three weeks. And we might be able to find something more than what we bring to the board, but we have to stop at some point and say the evidence that was submitted is either sufficient or insufficient in the amount of time that we've dedicated. This is what we are capable of looking at from directories, from the courier, and we do a certain amount of research, but there is a point at which it stops. But I applaud you, applaud you all if you all go that far, that long, three weeks, because I don't know of even when I was, when we had more zoning cases than you all did, we have more sub, had more sub, 
we would never have been able to stay on a, a case. Yeah, there's a lot of material out there. And prior to the aerials, I mean, if, if we're looking at Old Louisville, which Old Louisville has a original use exception in it, you know, things in older areas where the sandborns are available are really helpful. But out in rural areas where we might be relying on a photo that existed at some point in a corner store up on a wall of what used to be or was around the corner, that might be, be something that isn't as discoverable for staff in the limited amount of time that we're working with a nonconforming rights application. So we rely on, you know, if the evidence isn't conclusive to bring it here in hopes that the applicant brings forward information. But typically what we've seen in the last several nonconforming is they become small little, is the use appropriate, almost rezoning hearings. Today it was today it was different though, right? How was it different? Well, it was I wouldn't different want because to talk. Have... he's in an appeal period, so I wouldn't talk too much about today's well, so, case. I mean, unless you want to talk about a broader situation. No, I just want to. So, so you guys or the staff, you all have it on your radar to try to present this to the powers to be, which is assuming Metro Council about maybe modifying this to a more reasonable time. Our issue is through a different lens, though, not because it's it's a challenge um, as much as we do recognize it being a challenge is more just because of the equity of it is it seems to be the people who have the hardest time finding the evidence seem to be of less means and they're usually coming here through enforcement action which while we're fair and balanced in our action we're not we can't control how the complaints arrive at our desk so that's why we're bringing it um, but our solution is it is hard to go back that far. Other areas of the state have a statute of limitations. We're at least suggesting a consistent date across the county for people that haven't had a rezoning. That's the other squirrely thing. It's not 1943 in all cases. If you had a subsequent rezoning or the rule, the, the, the law itself was done after that. Like there's some uses we have a thousand uses in our code today we had probably 20 in 1943 so if we added the new use in 1960 you only have to go back to that date so we'll never get down to one date but at least we can bridge the date between the old city and the old incorporated areas and the other cities that we represent to a single date um but, but wouldn't it not be cleaner if if we could just say that if there's evidence i'm just going to pick what i think you know, I can shut you down. That this property has been used for this use in this manner for the last 20 years without. You're going to need a state law change for that. That's right. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's all I'm asking. How do we go about doing that? Well, Just, change the state I law. Mean, I mean, and at the same time, we'll get rid of that dueling when we swear ourselves in. Uh, that's part of the Constitution. That's a whole other deal. Talk, uh, talk to your legislator. Yeah, I guess we're the top our legislature. Well, we, we, we believe we might be able to do one locally as long as it's not inconsistent with the remainder of that statute as it applies to our first class city. So we might be able to do it, but at the end of the day, it's Metro Council's decision whether or not they want to add that. But obviously the state could do it too and preempt us and require us. So there's really two ways it can be done. But we're looking at it. But you are looking at it. 
that's what I, I'm hearing. So I'm not going right. to, I'll go home and sleep well tonight. <laughs> and I agree with Barb's point because in looking at the Arden Warburg tour, your name in there, I mean, put, speak in your mic. Talbot, yeah. Tal yes, the, that law firm. Uh, you know, there was just a sentence or two in there that indicated that, that there's some interest in getting rid of non-conforming rights. So that we could always get rid of non-conforming oh, rights. Everywhere you go. Based on my experience, yeah. because there are some That's, people who are never going to be legally truthful. I'm, the only way you get rid of non-conforming rights is to throw zoning out and say everything's allowed. Non-conforming rights comes into constitutional law that yeah. you have a right to do something, and if the government changes the rules on you, that you should have the right to carry that on. It's taking yeah, in a way. Good. The one thing about our code that is almost copy and paste across the country is our non-conforming rights section. I don't think it's going anywhere, but yeah, anything's it, possible in today's I, day. I and would age. have to look back at that at that training. It was training that we were provided by by the law firm. It was in one of our packets for this meeting today, and they did mention the subject of non-conforming rights in the ten years. Um, you know, that was discussed. It was all summarized in the training. We're probably talking about the statute of limitations, which again, doesn't make you legal. It just stops us from being able to require you to do this hearing, from me being able to find you, from me being able to make you stop doing something from an enforcement perspective. That is fair game. That's probably what they were talking about, but that's different than saying that you're, you have non-conforming rights. That's just saying, we can't prosecute you over it, which means we can't make you stop doing it. That makes any sense. Laura probably has a much more articulate way of explaining a legal yeah, principle it, than me. But Laura may need to look at that um, to see. I mean, I looked at it very quickly this morning. So, um, yeah, it's possible that I mis misinterpreted what uh, what the law. And it appeared that that was. Um, you know, from from an, from a website from that law office. Which is that law office and is interpretation, and it was yeah. training they did years ago. Yeah. Oh, what? Oh, two thousand two, maybe. Was it? Was it? Was it? Did the training? Yeah. Yeah. It was just a two thousand two article that talked about zoning generally. I mean, so it's it's really not geared for like Louisville specifically or Louisville's Board of Zoning Adjustment specifically. It's just talking about non-conforming rights generally. Oh, that was probably a KPA conference where he was talking to everybody in the state. Right, because yeah. he's yeah. talking about Kentucky attorneys and how Kentucky attorneys yeah. would view this and how some counties don't have zoning at all. You know, so that would be a yeah. different set of stuff. Yeah, I attended that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's old. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, but I, but when I saw it, I, I when I saw it, I recognized it because I had that training for a few days. Oh. Somebody adjourn. We adjourn. I move. We adjourn. All right. Thank you. Work